0: Hey folks, it's Cody Stauffer with Playmakers Corner here to tell you about Code Red Coaching. Competing in athletics means you've lifted the weights, you've watched film, and you've got the passion. Problem is, that's what everyone else in the state has done. Perfect your game by honing in on your mental performance with Code Red Coaching. Whether you are a team or an individual, Code Red Coaching has the tools to create mentally solid habits and set up you or your team for success. Find Code Red Coaching at coderedcoaching.com or call 720 979 one nine one four to learn more today. That's code red coaching.com or 720-979-1914 today. Now back to the show. Hey hey, hey listeners, it is your showrunner. I'm gonna say your host for this episode, Cody Stoffer here. And you know and I know it is Colorado football season here. It's football season in general. And we are back with our legendary recaps here. And, you know, we are actually going to talk about week zero as well as week one on this episode. And we're going to have some newer voices here. Maybe you listened to their interviews. But, you know, Gideon helped us out last season. You heard him before. And we also have Gino with some recaps. And this is how we're going to do it here. So the way we have it divvied up, at least through these first two weeks, as in week zero and week one, is we have it split up where each one of us is talking about a different classification. So myself here, I'm going to talk about what happened in 1A for weeks zero and one. And then I'm going to pass the mic over to Gino, who's going to take us through week zero in 2A. And then a friendly face And a familiar one at that, Gideon here, is going to talk about 3A, Week 0, and Week 1, and take us through each of the games day by day. And then we are going to talk about, you know, what happened in 4A, that is back to me. And then we are going to talk about what happened in 5A. However, what we're going to do before any of these segments is we are going to talk about the games that we attended. And for those of you that don't know, we do post our Games of the Week, which are the games that we plan on attending, barring any illnesses, which do happen, or car problems, what have you. We do plan on attending those games, so be sure to check us out on Instagram for that post for our Games of the Week. But those Games of the Week are going to include the Week 0 matchup of Mountain Vista versus Frost Valley, and then the Week 1 matchups of Holyoke versus Strasbourg, Berthoud versus Timnath, Puder versus Rock Canyon, and Creek versus Ralston Valley, all of those going before the classification that we're talking about. So by that train of thought here, if we start in 1A, then it's only natural that I talk about the week one matchup between Holyoke and Strasburg. So let's drive all the way out east to Holyoke, Colorado, which is only like 30 minutes from the Nebraskan border here and talk about the dragons versus strasburg here now strasburg will start with the football in this game but the dragons actually force them to go three and out and punt and then start from their own 36 the home crowd is into it and they are excited and buzzing for this holyoke season that has so many returners coming back and holyoke was actually behind strasburg in our power rankings heading into this game, but I had a feeling that these Dragons were going to make some big moves this game. And they come out, and they do solid here. You know, they get a uh, first down. They have a flood concept here where quarterback Wyatt Sprague finds Tyson Mossentine here, and he gets all the way to the other 31-yard line. They then get the benefit of a pass interference that gets to the 11, but another flag pushes them back to the 18 and just a few plays later with a few losses and a drop. It ends up being 4th and 17 on the 20-yard line here, and Holyoke is going to go for it. They are not going to kick the ball, and they snap it to Wyatt out of the shotgun, who loads up and just fires one into his younger brother, I assume, Reed Sprague, for the touchdown on 4th and 17 to put Holyoke up 7 to nothing here in the first quarter strasburg they are looking to respond here but unfortunately go three and out that is ended by a drop on a screen here so they punt and holyoke gets a decent return to start on the 40 yard line going in and right off the bat it looks like they're riding this momentum very strongly here as they have a handoff out of pistol that sets up second and three they draw strasburg off sides and they get a first down, but then they commit a personal foul that pushed them almost back to midfield. There's a short throw, and then Wyatt just catches, loads up, and then drops it right into the breadbasket of Bryson Dirks, who gets all the way to the 8-yard line. Now, on first down, they do have a pitch that is swallowed up, a short run, and then on third and five, they get stuffed. They take a timeout on fourth and three, But, you know, they call a quarterback keeper and Strasburg is ready for that. Number 33, Ethan Freeman, just gets right through the line and slows down Wyatt from behind and is eventually gang-tackled here to force a turnover on downs, giving Strasburg the ball on their own four-yard line. They are backed up against the wall here, but a toss right and a penalty actually gives them a ton of breathing room and pushes them all the way to the 27-yard line. On this next play that will start the second quarter here. That does take to, take us to the end of the first quarter. Landon Martin takes a deep shot downfield. And it's a touchdown that is just dropped. I mean, the receiver wins this foot race and just can't bring it in. And I feel like that kind of does suck some of the wind out of this Strasbourg offense. They eventually get to fourth and one. But Wyatt Sprague will break up the pass on that fourth down and force a turnover on downs and gives Holyoke the ball on the 37-yard line going in. Now, on this first play, they drop back to pass, but Strasburg, they get through the line here and number 79, Alex Dickens, a.k.a. Al Dickens, as well as number 57, who is Tristan Gobble. They get through the line, and they are approaching fast on Wyatt Sprague, and they force a terrible pass that is intercepted by DJ Cannon, number 68, and gives Strasburg the ball on the 49-yard line going in. Now, on this opening play, Martin rolls out right and finds number 18, who turns upfield, but upon contact with number 62, for this Holyoke squad Paul Smith actually ends up fumbling the football and it is recovered by number three Bryson and Dirks and gives Holyoke the ball on their own 45 yard line now unfortunately they don't make anything out of this turnover so it's basically a wash here as they will end up going three and out including a drop on third down and punting on fourth and seven. Now, Strasburg has 8 minutes and 22 seconds left in the half where they get a run blown up, and then Reed Sprague on the next play levels the ball carrier, and it is 3rd and 20. The next play doesn't happen, and, well, nothing goes on the next play is what I should say, and it is another punt. So they exchange three and outs here, and the Dragons end up on their own 16 with a very friendly Strasburg bounce on the punt. Now, there's a low screen pass that goes for 2, before on the next play, Wyatt Sprague, he rolls out, he buys some time, and he puts it on the top shelf where only his receiver can get it, but he does not come down with it. On third down, he does hit Reed on a hitch, who muscles all the way to the 34-yard line for a first down. Now Sprague keeps and gets to the 38 on the next play, and following an incompletion on second down, the Dragons have third and five on their own side, and Holyoke calls a quarterback keeper, bringing around the tackle and the guard. And once again, number 62, whose name I do not have on this list, or maybe I'm just bad at seeing numbers, but he makes an excellent seal block, and Wyatt Sprague does the rest here, winning with a head full of steam, zooming down the left sideline, and putting the Dragons up even more, 14 to nothing with 4 minutes and 12 seconds in the second quarter. Now, Strasburg, they get the ball here. They're on their own 29-yard line. They have a rollout for a yard. Then there's a drop on the next play. And then on third and nine, they have a quick pass for four before a quick tackle by Reed Sprague forces a punt. Now, Holyoke with the ball on their own 39 on a solid return and just two and a half minutes left in the half. They try and, you know, maybe make this a three score game prior to halftime. But Al Dickens wins up front and forces a run for only one yard. Now, there are a couple of short plays here, but then there's an underthrown pass on third and seven that is broken it up by number 23 on Strasburg, Thomas Devlin. And on fourth and six, Holyoke ends up punting. Now, Strasburg on their own 30 with a minute 12 left. They roll out left, and Martin tries to direct his receiver downfield and loads up, but Reed Sprague is waiting for this and intercepts the football and Holyoke has the ball on the 34 going in now. There's a pass for number 9 that comes in low, then an overthrow on a corner route, and then on third and one with 31 seconds left, Sprague steps up and sidearms one to number 4, Tyson Mosentine for a first down to the 11 and gets out of bounds and stops the clock. Now on this next play, Wide Sprague manipulates the pocket here and throws to a wide Open number six, Trey Oakley, four, six, six for six. The PAT is no good, and Holyoke is up 20 to nothing at halftime. This game just is kind of warranted by big plays by Holyoke and, you know, just a very stagnant offense. Lots of inopportune drops for Strasburg and just not really being able to establish the run game here. I mean, on the night, they would only be able to average a very underwhelming 3.9 yards per carry. But regardless, to start the half, Holyoke does start at their own 22. And, you know, the blitz gets through for Strasburg, but Tyson Mocentine still fights for four yards anyway. Now, on second and six, they do get a toss right that is blown up by Landon Martin, who actually had two tackles for loss in this game, both on sweeping or outside plays. And then every member of the defensive line gets a hand on Sprague before finally bringing him down at the 20 and forcing a Holyoke punt. Now, Strasburg on the 46 going in, it looks like a bad snap forces a run left for two. And then there is an incomplete pass. And, you know, the corners now are just draping the Strasburg wide receivers, which forces a sweep right on third and eight that puts a fourth and three here and a Devlin zone left run actually picks up a first and some all the way to the 28, which is great. Now, in the next play, Landon Martin keeps the play alive with his legs and actually gets flushed outright, sheds and spins his way all the way to the 12 for a 16-yard gain. Now, the next run play, nothing happens, and Strasburg rolls outright, and Landon tries to fire one in, but number 23, Colby Weber, makes a great diving interception to just kill the momentum of a great Strasburg scoring opportunity. But this dis, this does still have Holyoke on their own four with six minutes left in the third. And this is a great opportunity to maybe, you know, put the boot on Strasburg's neck here. But, you know, they kind of kill themselves with some penalties here before ending up on third and eight. And then Devlin, oddly enough, for Strasburg, goes down with a non-contact injury before Holyoke has to eventually punt from their own end zone. And this great opportunity allows Austin Velasco to catch in stride and get all the way to the 21-yard line. Strasburg still can't get anything established on the ground on this opening play with Reed Sprague blowing it up before Colby Weber gets another pick on an overthrow by Landon Martin. You can tell that he's just trying to get something going here, but it's just playing right into Holyoke's strengths here as a secondary. And you have the younger Weber here, who's only a sophomore, having basically his coming out party in this game. Shout out to Colby. Got to talk to him after the game and congratulate him on a job well done. And I also got to talk to Cash as well. He, you know, did his thing, but was definitely, you know, keyed in on more uh, throughout this game by the Strasburg offense. Now, Holyoke, they end up on their own 20 because it was a touchback here. And, you know, they pick up. A uh, first down eventually after forcing Strasburg to jump. But then there's a bad toss and they lose seven here. And, you know, White Sprague, he hits an out route to end the third quarter here. Now to start the fourth, they have third and four on the 24 yard line. And, you know, they a pass interference happens and, you know, it does not get called. So Holyoke will go for it and Sprague sees nothing he likes, and he makes a move to freeze a defender and gets to the 13 for the first down. Now, there is a read option that is, you know, expected by the defense. They hold them to one here, and eventually they are set up at third and four, with third and four, I should say, on the eight or nine-yard line when the running back fumbles the ball, and number 18, who is trying to look for his redemption arc here, Paul Smith, actually dives on the football here and gives Strasburg the ball in the nine and ending a Holyoke scoring opportunity that would have definitely ended this game. Now on the next play, Holyoke does blitz the edge, but Landon Martin escapes and gains five here. Strasburg then has another run left for three. And then Landon looks from his second read to a check down where Reed Sprague is all over it and easily bats it away. Strasburg on fourth and two do a quick handoff here and Devlin barely stumbles for the first down but keeps the drive alive anyway on the next play there is another first down picked up by Landon Martin with his feet before a drop sets up second and ten they have a screen left and the tackle is made by Bryson Dirks for just a gain of four and then with third and six on the 38 yard line Martin tries to squeeze into double coverage and is intercepted by Reed Sprague so Holyoke has the ball on the 50 with seven minutes and 40 seconds left and they have a rollout left and they do a little shovel to number nine that picks up three. Holyoke takes a timeout here with six minutes and fifty-five seconds before getting a handoff to Tyson Mosentine, who just trucks right through the defender, defender and springs the rest of the way for a score. The PAT is no good, however. Twenty-six to nothing would be a solid enough lead for the rest of this game. I mean, eventually, you know, Strasburg does score on this next play with an incredible throw to Paul Smith to make it 26 to 7 but with 5 minutes and 5 seconds left to go it is the dragon ball on the 44 yard line and Tyson takes a handoff and freezes the defender with a great cut and wins a foot race on a 44 yard touchdown run and puts Holyoke up 33 to 7 with 4 minutes and 5 seconds to go there's a you know few blunders a few runs and a few drops by Strasburg here but that would effectively end the game And Strasbourg would lose this one on the road to Holyoke 33 7. Interesting fact about last year Holyoke actually never held the lead against Strasbourg in last year's home opener, or in last year's opener where Strasbourg was at home. And this year, Strasbourg never holds the lead against Holyoke. Plenty of scoring opportunities, but just lots of very bad mental errors by Strasbourg and then lots of playmaking by Holyoke, they seemed like they were a little bit better conditioned. If I'm being a hundred percent honest, I feel like I noticed the Strasburg line that held really stiff against the run game early ended up kind of fading away as the game went on. That could have been a spirit thing. It could have been a cardio thing, but either way, those last two Tyson Moss and teen touchdown runs were definitely gut punches that you know, make this from a 20 to seven game to a 33 to seven game and makes it look a little bit more out of control then maybe it really was. But, I mean, Strasburg, they came out strong and just couldn't finish drives or capitalize off of mistakes that Holyoke made. But Holyoke was capitalizing off of opportunities that Strasburg provided. And they just had playmakers on all levels. I mean, like I said, Colby Weber was making great interceptions. Reed Sprague was forcing turnovers with, you know, big hits or interceptions. Bryson Dirks was doing his thing. Cash Weber was doing his thing. Wyatt Sprague played great on both sides of the ball at linebacker and at quarterback. And then Tyson Mossentine was the closer, and he's only going to get better as the year goes on. This Holyoke offensive line, they looked really impressive. I think that they pulled very, very well and did a great job of opening up on power, especially your counter plays. And, you know, I'd say Strasburg, they definitely established, struggled to establish their will in the run game, and I think that that is a huge aspect of what cost Strasburg this game and multiple spots in our power rankings which will come later. But that will do it for my recap of the Strasbourg and Holyoke football game before I talk about the rest of 1A through Week 0 and Week 1. Now, for the Week 0 recap of 1A, it was predominantly Western Slope and South Central teams that kicked off their season this week. Uh, not a lot of competition was to be had in the following games anyway. Gunnison beat the brakes off of Del Norte 49-0, North Fork, Roots, Ignacio 49 to 6. The Moreno Brothers combined for over half of North Fork's points. Hayden runs for two, returns a punt, and has a 280 yard performance between rushing, passing, and returning. Buena Vista beats 2A, Coleridge 41 to Zill. The Demons run for 423 yards, and Caleb Camp scores four times, making for playmaker of the week candidacy. But you know, teammate Eli Schuknecht. Had a nice 190-yard rushing effort, and, you know, looks to be integral for this squad heading forward. And then Elijah Flowers, not to be left out, forced two sacks and led the Demons with eight total tackles. The defense, all in all, forced three turnovers, and the 2026 class appears to be very strong in their early contributions. So that is the Week 0 recap. Now let me talk about what happened in Week 1. A lot more to talk about here, a lot more games to play. Now, Manual, they're you know one of those teams that are just outside of our top ten. They take care of business against Jefferson, 38 to nothing. Cartel Dickey, one of our watchless guys, seven of sixteen, 200 yards, three scores, and no interceptions at the quarterback position. So taking a pretty easy, coasting to a nice easy win here for Manual. Vista, 50 Burgers, Rocky Ford. I don't really need to say anything about that. Ray handles Highland, 46 to six. Quality win for the state runner-up from last year banning lewis academy opens up with a big win over denver christian 56 to 12 and some of the familiar names from banning lewis academy chase real and ben early conduct their business combining for four scores cscs colorado springs christian clobbers flat irons academy on the back of six forced turnovers by this defense, they are looking to pick up some of the slack left by some of the graduates from last year. Gunnison beat 2A Aspen 35-20 to 20 in a nice show here. And then Centauri, as far as 1A news go, loses a surprising game to Pagosa Springs 16-20 to 20 after allegedly our source let us know that the Pirates' defense stiffened up down the stretch and Centauri just could not get anything going I believe that, you know, it sounds like this team is just not super balanced. So I fear for who is under center as Centauri heads forward. Meeker, on the other hand, got to face off against another top 10 power ranked team in North Fork here. And this game went to overtime and it was absurd. Where Meeker pulled this game out 36 to 35 with a gutsy two point conversion attempt where they were successful and that ended the game. This is not to take away from Hayden Moreno's Herculean 176 yards and three scores, and then Daniel Owens as well, who had the other two touchdowns for North Fork. But junior tailback Clay Crawford came to play running for 158 yards and two scores, and then Ryan Sullivan appeared to be a huge difference in this game under center, you know, throwing for 77 yards and a score on 64% completion, and also tossing the game-winning two-point conversion to Jake Blazon. Not to be outmatched, Wyatt Powers had two interceptions, and Judd Harvey went insane, collecting a team-high 13 tackles. Plenty of playmakers on all levels for Meeker, who barely escapes from Week 1 with a win here. In other 1A news, Middle Park bludgeoned Pinnacle 45-0. Cedar Ridge pitched a shutout and beat Peyton 21-0. Wiggins beat 2A Brush 20-18 in double overtime, converting on their two-point attempt and not allowing brush to convert and getting the win here you know they opened up with the two-point conversion which is gutsy enough they were successful and then to hold brush out of that attempt is huge news for this wiggins team that uh, is really gonna have to battle in a lot of their games this year Estes Park, one as Estes Park, loses to Wellington with zero run game present. I want to say that they were like literally under three yards per carry in the run. And then the Wellington secondary did a good job holding Estes Park's offense to just one scoring touchdown. PAT, two-point conversion, whatever you, whatever you have, no good. More on the Wellington side of things later. Same with this LaHunta shutout of Burlington. But in some bigger news here, Buena Vista starts off 2-0 and will make an appearance on our power rankings. Be sure to stay tuned for that segment later in this episode on the heels of another defensive shutout, headlined by a Caleb Camp interception and three fumble recoveries, including one from Nolan Verrier, who led the team in TFLs at two. Amon Wingo also had two sacks in this shutout, and then sophomore Eli Schuchnacht, once again, is the real deal with another 100-plus-yard game. It's going all three of the Demons' touchdowns in their win over Salida. It's still a little concerning to see Hudson Wingo struggle this much against this level of opponent, so we he will have to develop against better teams. But the defense, Eli and Caleb, are enough to win games for now. Now, shout-out Trinidad. They did lose to Lamar, but, man, they put in stats, which we love to see. Isaiah Romero found pay dirt for Trinidad and fellow freshman Troy V Hill got an interception but that was in a losing effort and then Ellicott lost to Grand Valley 26 to 52 and that is the recap for 1A football through weeks 0 and 1 be sure to stay tuned for the power rankings
1: on 1A later this episode All right everybody time for our second game recap we have Timnath versus Berthoud. Uh, Berthoud, uh, after this game, I have them ranked fifth, I believe, in two-way. Uh, this is a bit of a, this is an interesting one because Berthoud, uh, they just came out the gate swinging. So we'll get into that. So Timnath they ended up starting the game on offense where Vince Hochalter ran for three. After a couple of incompletions from freshman quarterback Jackson Craig, the the Cubs were forced to punt, where it went over Alex Kolksack's head, which resulted in a safety on the first possession, leaving the Cubs down 0-2. Kolksack's kickoff after this happened went 57 yards, and then AJ Chukowski got a tackle. Cade uh, Geist got a tackle for loss and ultimately helped to force a punt and a timeout with 9.35 left in the first quarter. After a fumble, which was recovered by Jack DiBenedito. You see, I got that right, Jack. I think I got that right. There was an incompletion. This ended up in a punt, which was brought back a few yards by a targeting call on Timneth. Following this, Ivan Hochhalter got a tackle. And then Vince did the same four times in a row, on one of which he was aided by Dominic Giron. Unfortunately, they then allowed a 32-yard touchdown, which put them down 0-9 with 445 left in the first. Jace Yankst then ran for three, and after a false start, Craig threw to Jackson Barker, the the freshman tight end wide receiver, for six. After a holding call, Kolkzak punted for 45 yards, and then on D, Vince Hochalter got a tackle again. Then Giron and Evan Faza shared one of their own. Uh, Tanner Mock got a tackle, and then Vaza got one to close out the first quarter. Let's start the second. Ivan Hokalter got a tackle, and then Vince Hochalter forced a fumble. I did not see who recovered that, but it was someone from Timneth. Uh, Yinks ran for eight yards, but was then tackled for loss on the next carry. Barker caught for a first down, but the Cubs were back on D after a fumble. Ivan Hochalter got a tackle, but then the Cubs allowed a long touchdown. After a chaotic kickoff sequence, followed by an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, Craig threw to Carter Gaines for 10 yards. Yanks ran for three, but this drive ended in yet another punt. After the punt was saved from bouncing back by Drew Raymond, Kyler Giron got a tackle. After Vince Hochalter got a tackle of his own, Timnith was hit with two personal fouls, before Vince Hochalter got two more tackles. Cade Geist got a tackle in as well, but Timnath let in another touchdown to go down 22-0. Now you might be doing the math, Timnath did block the PAT there. Uh, After a couple of runs for loss, a sack, and a timeout with 2.34 left in the half, Timnath punted once again. Once Timnath got the ball back, Davis Payne recovered a punt for 25 yards before Vance ran, or Vince, sorry, ran for another three. After yet another personal foul, Timnath had to punt again, which went 45 yards. Giron uh, got another tackle, and Alexander Wood got a hurry before allowing a 40-yard pass. And after a timeout, they then allowed a last-second touchdown which put the Cubs down 29-0 heading into halftime. I mean, ultimately, I still thought it was winnable heading into this point, but then once that last-second touchdown got scored, I was like, okay, at this point, just try to keep it so that your RPI stays at a semi-reasonable level at this point. And honestly, heading into the third quarter, it's kind of stopping the bleeding which, I mean, Alex Kolkzak, he did a pretty good job uh, with the 60-yard kickoff, uh, and he actually got the tackle uh, to start off the third quarter. Uh, Vince Hochalter got a tackle, and then Drew Seufer got a pass deflection. After a timeout with 9.38 in the third, Timneth allowed another touchdown to go down 0-36. to Payne had another 25-ish yard return, and then Yankst ran for 5. After a tackle for loss and a penalty, the Cubs found themselves on 2nd and 25, but a 20-yard pass to Barker made it feel pretty salvageable. However, this was called back due to blocking in the backfield, which had a 2nd and 30 situation. The following punt was blocked, which resulted in a touchdown, which was the last score of the game, putting Timneth down 43-0 after this point honestly the most notable things are a 45 yard punt from Coltsack tackles from Jack next Max RJ Thompson Max Coltsack and a tackle by Tanner Mock the cubs eventually did get in field goal position in the fourth but i but from what i could see it was blocked it did go wide to left and that's honestly just about all that she wrote so Looking at the playmakers of the game, first we have our defensive playmaker of the game, Cade Geist. Uh, Geist was Timnath's sole All-State selection last year, and it's obvious why he earned that honor. Uh, I I do think that uh, Vince Hochalter should have been as well, but I think that he was held back due to getting injured towards the tail end of last season. Now, the 6'1 sophomore was dominant on both sides of the line, whole game and though he may not have had as many tackles as you might think just by looking at the uh just looking at the eventual box score his presence it's very much like Chaz barnett his presence and force drew attention away from other guys like vince like ivan and uh it it it, it opened those holes for those guys to get those tackles and those pressure Uh, in terms of uh offensive playmaker of the game, we have Jackson Barker. Uh, playing in his first ever varsity game, the freshman did a hell of a job. Uh, the tight end had 45 yards on five receptions and was very excited about the future of this team. Uh, Barker here with comment mm-hmm. But when you're looking at a night where, the occasion, where you're struggling a little bit on offense, what are you going to be doing moving forward to make sure that you're getting the things to run as smoothly as possible. I think the biggest thing for us is coming back strong in practice, um, keeping a short mindset,
2: and, like, just keep working. That We're a really young team, and we're going to come back. We'll be there. All right. And how are you feeling heading into next week's matchup? I'm feeling good. I like how we match up against Academy, and it'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be fun to watch.
1: All right. When it comes to developing chemistry with your quarterback, uh, your quarterback, uh, he's a freshman too, right? Right, yeah. So when it comes to developing that chemistry, have, have you guys been playing together already? Or we have,
2: You know, okay. we played a couple years in middle school, and I think we have a good chemistry. Um, yeah.
1: All right. H- how do you think that, because, uh, yeah, with it, with such a young team, you have a lot of freshmen and sophomores. Right. How do you think the freshmen did in tonight's debut against what's probably going to be, be a playoff team?
2: I think that they, um, they came out a little bit hesitant, but that's always first jitters, got to get them out. And I think they came out well, though. I think they were going to surprise some people.
1: So Barker, very, very optimistic. I think uh, I, I think that's the right mindset to have. You got a young team, and you're pushing forward, and a lot of people are going to be doubting you. So having that mindset of being able to, you can beat anyone. I feel pretty good about uh, about a team where one of your main pieces has that killer mindset. So moving on to playmaker of the game, I kind of have a co-playmaker of the game between Vince Hochalter and Alex Kolchak. Uh, sorry, Alex, I went back and re-listened to our interview and I realized I'd been saying it wrong the whole episode, so I'm sorry about that. Um, but Vince, uh, he continues to be a beast. Uh, by my count, he had, uh, he had 12 tackles that I that I wrote down. Uh, They don't have the defensive stuff in the box score yet, but he also had a forced fumble, which was by far the best that anyone did on the squad that night, numbers-wise at least. And this was an all-around solid performance for the junior. Uh, And hopefully a sign of things to come, especially since his younger brother Ivan is now on the team and got at least four tackles of his own. And kind of a hot take here, but I mean, I know Timnith is a new school, but Vince is the type of guy where I could see him contributing at a high level on a D2 roster. So if like someone if someone from Shadron State in particular, uh, I feel like Shadron State, Black Hills State, New Mexico Highlands, if you're listening, come out and give this kid a look because he is really, really solid. And I feel like he could give you a lot of stuff. In any case, here we have uh, Vince with a comment on the game. May not have been the result that you wanted, but it felt like you were on every other tackle tonight. So when you're looking at a team like this, where you got a bunch of really strong runners and uh, an experienced quarterback, what were you looking for when it comes to surveying the field to get to your spot? It's
3: uh, just looking at how they line up and uh, getting to the right spots quick. Very important. All right.
1: And so what are you going to be looking at next week? Uh, Next week, I'm looking for more
3: compassion from my team. I want to see some heart and uh, be physical next year.
1: And uh, all around for the season, how are you feeling for, uh, for the outlook?
3: I think we'll look better than we did last year.
1: Thank you very much, Vince. It is always a pleasure to discuss these games with you. And now we have our other playmaker of the game, Alex Kolchak. Uh, Kolchak earned this honor for a similar reason to Colton Mills younger. Uh, Kolchak dominated on special teams, and although he did miss a field goal, he still had his kickoffs and his punts go incredibly far, and that provided Timnith with a whole bunch of room defensively that they would not have had otherwise. Without his work, this game may have ended up much, much worse. Here's Kolchak, or Kolchak with comment. You had both a good and a bad night. Uh, good on a personal stance where you got a lot of film, but mm-hmm. you don't want your punter getting too much uh, <laughs> too much time. Yeah. But when it comes to really developing your leg and making sure that you're able to sway the sway the opposing offense as far as possible, what does your pregame ritual look like?
2: Well, I got my warm-up, and then I basically just do field goals and then do some punts with my long snapper.
1: all right. And when you're looking at a game like this against what's probably going to be a playoff team, what is your mindset when it comes to getting the team as a whole into the right frame of mind?
2: I was trying to keep everyone as positive as possible, and. Just
1: do what I have to do, and, yeah. Make sure people are doing what they have to do. And uh, saw that your rate right is as a four star by the by uh, Coles now. So yeah. is that getting you any looks, or is uh, uh, or, or are you still reaching out to schools right now?
2: Not yet. I'm still reaching out to some schools though.
1: Cool. When you're looking at uh, the adjustments that the team as a whole have made, how do you feel that's going to work heading into next week's matchup?
2: Uh, well, I think. It's just the team is going to support each other, and those changes will work out pretty well. Yeah, it just takes a little bit of time, and we'll get it all done.
1: Thank you very much, Alex. It's always a pleasure to uh, to have a conversation with you. And so now we're going to move over to Berthoud's side of the game. So in the first quarter, Berthoud elected to defer after winning the coin toss. Uh, ben Schroeder got a touchback on the kickoff, and Ben Larson got a tackle. Uh, Jaden Michaelis got a pass deflection before the Spartans scored a safety, going up 2-0 early in the first quarter. Uh, Cade Anderson returned the ensuing kickoff for 23, and then Alex Larson ran for 4. There was a fumble that was recovered by Joey Finnegan, and uh, this did culminate in Derriden Davidson punting, along with a timeout with 9.35 left in the first. Finnegan got a tackle, and then Donovan Mann did the same to help force a punt. After a targeting call, Alex Larson ran for four, and then Finnegan played copycat, but threw five broken tackles, running for four of his own. Davidson pulled a QB keep for a first down, and then Alex Larson ran for four more. Cole Beilek ran for three, and then Alex Larson broke free for a 32-yard touchdown. Uh, Schroeder's PAT did end up being good on that, putting Berthoud up 9-0. Schroeder's kickoff was once again a touchback, and then he got a tackle. Um, Michaelis got two tackles, which helped to force another punt. Uh, Alex Larson ran for two, and then Finnegan ran for 15. After an illegal procedure penalty, Finnegan got in a 22-yard to end the first quarter. Uh, To start the second, Alex Larson ran for 15, and then there was a fumble that was recovered by Garrett Polowski. Davidson ran for six, and then there was another fumble resulting in a turnover. Uh, Finnegan got a tackle for loss, and then Sean Barajas got one of his own. Davidson got a tackle, and then Mann recovered a fumble. Bialik ran on the first down of this possession for one, and then Alex Larson punched in another touchdown putting Berthod up 16-0. to On the kickoff return, Berthod committed a face mask penalty, but Jace Newbill then got a tackle on the following down. Daniel Mahoney also got one, followed by Finnegan and Pulowski. Once back on offense, Alex Larson ran for 30, and then Finnegan ran for 5. Ethan Hoffmeister carried for four yards and then two more. Alex Larson then ran yet another score in, and Schroeder put another kick through the uprights, putting Berthed up 22-0. The kickoff was a touchback again, and then Sam Smith got a tackle, followed by Elisha Mosher deflecting a pass. Barajas sacked the quarterback, forcing a timeout with 2.34 to go in the half. After getting the ball back, there were a few incomplete passes, leading to a nothing possession, which did culminate in a 40-yard punt. Uh, Pulaski and Mosher shared two tackles in a row, split by a timeout. Uh, Aiden McGrath then got a pass deflection to force a switch of roles by the two teams. Uh, Davidson passed to Michaelis for 12, but then, after a bunch of penalties, Berthed just avoided turning over the ball with a touchdown pass to Weston Petrowski, which, in combination with a good PAT, after a conversion that was called back due to holding, made Berthard's lead 29-0. Schroeder then got a tackle on the return to close out the first half. Newbill opened the second half with a 70-yard return on the kickoff which was followed by Alex Larson running for five yards in two carries. Finnegan ran for six, and after forcing a timeout with 9.38 left in the third, Alex Larson put in a 20-yard touchdown to make it 36-0. Schroeder and Mosher did share a tackle, and then McGrath pushed out a runner. Finnegan had a tackle for loss, and then Palowski recovered a snap that had gone over the punter's head for a touchdown. Schroeder hit the PAT, which put Berthed up 43-0, to with 6 minutes 40 seconds left in the third. Mahoney and Uriah Shakan shared a tackle. Number 81, who's not listed on the roster, got a tackle. And that's honestly most of what happened for the rest of the game. The rest of it was Timnath fighting for a point, and Berthed's defense not letting the Cubs have it. Uh, there was a path, there was a, a deflection or a block, I believe, on the uh, on that field goal attempt in the fourth quarter. But honestly, I did not see who that was, and uh, I'm starting to come down with a cold, so I was really feeling it at that point. Uh, but the leader of that defense, which held Timnith to zero, was our defensive playmaker of the game, Joey finnegan uh joey finnegan went crazy on that night he had 51 rush yards but on defense he had eight tackles two of which were for loss and a couple of hurries it really feels like joey finnegan might be an early candidate for defensive playmaker of the year in the 2a classification but before we go any further let's hear what finnegan has to say about tonight's performance all right, so defensively, you had yourself a little masterclass tonight. And so I'm wondering, when you're looking at a team like this who does have a couple of bigger guys up front, what are you looking at in the uh, in the O-line when you're getting every single tackle it felt like?
2: I take a couple of plays to find their weaknesses,
1: and then I just knock them down, and then I go for that quarterback. And, uh... Obviously, they have a new quarterback, different guy than last year, so when you saw those first couple of passes, those first couple of run plays, what, what angle were you trying to take on those, on those pass plays?
2: I was just trying to get the fastest pursuit, first foot forward, go with, lead with the back foot, and um, he was throwing it fast, so... I was just trying to get there as fast as I could.
1: All right. Uh, you probably don't know this, but Valley, they're down 39-2 to right now. And so heading into a team that has a bunch of other big guys and then a really skilled quarterback in Carson Adolph, what's going to be your personal mentality heading into next week? Sack that quarterback. Finnegan very concisely summing up his... Uh, summing up his... really his approach to the game, sack that quarterback. Uh, then then we're gonna move over to our offensive playmaker the game darren davidson who is back in birthed after a year in wyoming where he won the 4a state championship davidson returned to birthed ready to bring glory to his hometown and he started the season doing just that stretching his personal win streak from 12 to 13. ultimately he went 4 for 10 on 71 yards and a touchdown which is a pretty solid homecoming and that air game really helped open it up for our playmaker of the game for Berthed High School, the Spartans, Alex freaking Larson. This fella tore up the turf. He had 135 rush yards and four rushing touchdowns. He carried the Spartan squad on his back offensively. And this was just a great game for the senior. And he felt pretty good about himself. So by my count, you had four touchdowns tonight, which is pretty damn insane. And so when you're looking at the best way to start a season where you guys are really looking to contend, how do you feel about how that?
2: Um, I feel like it went pretty good. We definitely have a lot of stuff to work on. Our defense played great. Um,
1: Our offense still lacking a little. But still produced. But we got to get it up. Do you think with another week, uh, with a little bit more consistency under center, you guys will feel a lot better heading into a heading into the matchup next week? Yeah, definitely. It's just experience. It's just an experience thing. All right. And what are you going to be looking for in the Valley defense? Because this is a team that you're going against pretty consistently. So, um, I'm not sure
2: just yet. Um, this week's going to be a lot of film studying as an overall team. See see what they run.
1: Well, there you go. That's Alex Larson out of Berthoud. Uh, best of luck with the rest of your senior year. Thank you very much for uh, for the quick interview. And so, all in all, this was a very interesting game. Uh, Timnith—they showed a lot of flashes, and I'm sure that once they're healthy again, they will be in much better shape. Berthoud—they're a team that I have ranked at five in two A right now, so it's understandable. It's an understandable loss. Uh, on top of that, they were th- they were without one of their they were without their RB two in Mitchell Dean Gellis which certainly did not help. Uh, they they made the... I, I didn't have a conversation about this in particular, but they made the adjustment early in the game to make sure that Ho- that Vince Hochalter had the energy to give us all on defense, which which did end up working a little bit. And so they switched it over a little bit to Yingst. Um Now, once Dean Gellis is back, I do see them winning a couple of games. Um... And I mean, next week is going to be tough, but the Academy is, they did lose a lot compared to last year. So we'll see how they do in that matchup. Uh, Berthoud, on the other hand, did show why they are a borderline contender. Uh, They have a really strong defense led by Finnegan and a solid offensive scheme. Uh, Having Joey Finnegan and Alex Larson really helps them, but the return of Darren Davidson poses some interesting questions. Um, because you do have styler striker who, who who's going to win that quarterback battle i was talking with the with the fella from the birth of the newspaper i'm forgetting the name of the paper right now uh, will it was though um and he was talking about how that quarterback battle was still going until a couple of days ago and so you have to ask yourself what is that position going to look like for the spartans it's tough but they do have another week to figure it out, and we'll see how they do against the Valley Vikings next Friday. Timnith will be back home next week as well, facing the Wildcats of the Academy. Uh, Best of luck to both teams for the rest of the season, and I will see y'all in the Saturday games portion of this episode. Peace.
0: And that was Gideon with the Berthid versus Timnith recap did something a little different there getting some of those players clips in there If that is something that you did enjoy be sure to comment on the social media posts or interact with this part of the podcast so that we know that is something that we should continue to do but now we're going to pass the mic over to Gino who's going to give us a 2a recap
4: what's going on y'all my name is Gino Vigil and I will be recapping the 2a football games for weeks one and zero there were a lot of great games in the first two weeks in 2A, and we're going to get to all of them. But let's go ahead and start out with Week 0, where we had two cross-class games and one game between two 2A teams. Let's go ahead and start out with our first game of Week 0. We had the number nine in our power rankings, Basalt Shutout Summit, 28-0 to on offense for Basalt. You had Noah Johnston going 6-for-9 for for 82 yards with two touchdowns through the air and another one on the ground. Sophomore running back Will Tereo going 19 carries for 127 yards. And then Taylor Hayes on offense had two receiving touchdowns and an interception on defense. Also on defense, you had Gage Balderson putting up two sacks and nine total tackles. Unfortunately, we did not get any stats for Summit for Week 0. In our next Week 0 matchup, we had 2A Aspen falling to 3A Glenwood Springs by a score of 36-28. Unfortunately, we didn't get any stats for Aspen for Week 0. In our last Week 0 matchup, we had Coleridge falling to 1A Buena Vista by a score of 41-0. It was a very shaky game from Coleridge on both sides, with only 178 yards of total offense and no touchdowns to show for it. Now let's move on to Week 1, where we had a lot of great games and stats for most of them. Our first game in Week 1 for 2A consisted of the number 4 in our power rankings, Elizabeth, defeating Devlin 48-12. Elizabeth dominated on the ground with 310 rushing yards as a team, and they passed the ball well when they needed to, with Gavin Garcia going 7 for 8 for 94 yards. Cooper Connolly, however, was the big story, which he led the way on both sides with 188 yards on the ground, with 4 rushing touchdowns, and a pick 6 on defense. Cash Randall also added three tackles for loss to go along with two sacks. And for Devlin, Russell Balser had a punt return touchdown. Starting off the Friday games for Week 1 and 2A, we had Aspen falling to 1A Gunnison 35-20. There were no stats posted for Aspen for this game. Next we had Summit shutting out Woodland Park 21-0. There were no stats posted for this game either. After that, we had a huge game between the number one in our power rankings, Delta, defeating the number four in our power rankings, University, by a score of 28 to 14. Delta had no Asai Carrillo, but that was no problem. With Giovanni Romero stepping up for 114 yards rushing, and Delta was able to beat a very tough university squad with a balanced offensive attack. Three different receivers for Delta had a touchdown, and Delta on defense did very well against the run, and they fared well against the pass as well, with Xavier Martinez clocking nine tackles and a sack. For university, we had Will Corby with five receptions for 121 yards. Next, we have a cross-class matchup between 1A Yuma taking down 2A Sterling by a score of 22-8. Unfortunately, there were no stats posted for Sterling for this game. After that, we have another cross-class matchup with 1A Buena Vista shutting out 2A Salida by a score of 22-0. That is Buena Vista's second 2A team that they have shut out this year, and there weren't any stats posted for Salida for this game, unfortunately. In our next 2 way Week 1 game, we have Wellington defeating Estes Park in a close game, 8-6. to six. Sophomore QB Tanner Gray for Wellington goes 144 yards on the ground with a touchdown. And then Wellington as a team added 340 total rush yards, all from sophomores, so they have a very young offense. They had two picks and two sacks on the other side. And then Azuya Gracie with 19 tackles and three QB hurries in a game where they only allowed six points. Big game for him. And then there were no stats posted for Estes Park yet. In our next game in 2A, we had an offensive explosion for Manitou Springs as they dominate Valley by a score of 39 to two. Manitou passed the ball very well with three different receivers getting a touchdown. And QB Nate Gensel goes 14 for 22 for 185 yards and four touchdowns. They also ran the ball well with Logan Moore going 12 carries for 124 yards and a touchdown. And then on defense, they had three turnovers and Braden Downing and Donovan or both with two sacks. Next up, we have Weld Central defeating Bennett by a score of 51-28. For Bennett, they ran the ball 59 times with 45 of those going to the Kronk brothers, Tristan and Cougar. They also went 0-6 for passing, which isn't uncommon for them. They're going to be running the ball most of the time, but if they want to be a real threat, I think they need to seriously start to develop a pass game. And then on defense, they had Brody Haas with 19 tackles and a forced fumble. There weren't any stats posted for Weld Central for this game. And then we have Lamar taking on Trinidad, winning by a score of 44-8. to For Lamar, you had Cale Buxton with two receptions and two touchdowns for 87 yards. Lamar had 10 different players that had a carry, and Lamar only allowed 45 yards of total offense. Next up, we have an out-of-state matchup between Colorado's very own Montezuma-Cortez as they fall to New Mexico's 4A school Aztec by a score of 28-6. There weren't any stats posted for Cortez this game. Next up, we have another cross-class matchup with 3A Resurrection Christian taking down 2A Moffitt County by a score of 14-0. For Moffitt County, you had Ian Champ-Hayfee with 7 tackles and 2 tackles for loss. In another cross-class matchup, we had 3A Pueblo Central take down Alamosa by a score of 40-12. For Alamosa, you had junior QB Dyson Woodward go 7-15, for 146 yards, and two touchdowns. It was against a tough 3A opponent, so it'll be interesting to see what they do against other 2A teams. After that, we had the number 4 in our power rankings, Berthid, start the year off strong with a blowout against Timnath, 43-0. Bertha dominated Tim this run game, only allowing 19 yards on 15 carries. Bertha's defense also had three fumble recoveries, four tackles for loss, and a block punt. On offense, you had Alex Larson with 135 yards on 16 carries and four touchdowns on the ground. Next up, we have another big win for Basalt as they defeat Eagle Valley by a score of 49-16. Noah Johnston had another efficient game with three passing touchdowns on four completions. Sophomore running back Will Torreo followed up his 120-yard performance in week zero with 11 carries and 71 yards and a touchdown this week. Taylor Hayes had another balanced week with a receiving touchdown and a pick six on defense. And Basalt's defense had five turnovers in total. There weren't any stats posted for Eagle Valley as of the recording of this video. Next up, we have Bayfield losing in an out-of-state matchup to San Juan, which is a 2A out of Utah by a score of 61-0. to There weren't any stats posted for Bayfield for this game. Next up, we have a tight matchup between Steamboat Springs and Ridge, with Steamboat Springs coming out on top, 21-14. to On offense for Steamboat, Thomas Krupp led the way with 174 yards rushing and 55 yards receiving with one rushing touchdown and two receiving touchdowns. On defense, Waylon Lott led the way with 12 tackles and a sack. And then for Colt Ridge on defense, Grayson Eisenhart had 18 tackles and half a sack, and then Dylan Miller added two picks as well. In the next game, we have Wiggins beating Brush in a double OT thriller by a score of 20 to 18. Unfortunately, there weren't any stats posted for this game. And then we have Kent Denver defeating Platte Valley by a score of 14 to 0. There weren't any stats posted for this one either next up we have the number 10 in our 2a power rankings florence falling to the number one in our 1a power rankings lyman by a score of 55 to 23. for florence sorry if i messed this up lugus nuss got five carries 102 yards and two touchdowns on the ground in our next 2a matchup we have lahunta dominating burlington by a score of 42 to 0. there weren't any stats posted for this game In our last Friday night game of week one, we have Pagosa Springs defeating 1A Centauri by a score of 20 to 16. There weren't any stats posted for Pagosa for this game. In our first Saturday game for 2A week one, we have Arvada dominating Prospect Ridge by a score of 54 to six. Now before I get into the offensive stats for Arvada, I just wanna highlight that they only allow 24 yards on 29 carries, but on offense, You have Trevor Lucero who exploded for 340 yards passing and seven touchdowns through the air. And then sophomore receiver Jariah Ariano got six catches for 183 yards and five touchdowns. Just ridiculous. And then Gabriel Munguoya, sorry if I mispronounced that, also had 14 carries, 121 yards and a rushing touchdown, plus seven tackles and a tackle for loss on defense. Also, you had Christian Lake with four catches, 73 yards, and two touchdowns on offense, and he had two sacks on defense. Just an all around amazing game on offense and defense for Arvada. Next up in 2A, we have Fort Lupton taking down 3A Wheat Ridge by a score of 24 to 22. Frankie Flores for Fort Lupton kicked in the game winning field goal with only a minute to go. Royce Guerrero was their whole offense with 145 yards through the air and 147 on the ground with two passing touchdowns and one rushing. Then Anthony Bland Mendenhall with three receptions, 83 yards and two touchdowns for Fort Lupton. Next up, we have Grand Valley taking down Ellicott by a score of 52 to 26. For Grand Valley, junior QB Andrew Horner had a massive game on both sides. On offense, he had three rushing touchdowns and three passing with 121 yards through the air and 117 yards on the ground. On defense, he had an interception and two pass deflections. And then as a team, Grand Valley rushed for a total of 400 yards. There weren't any stats posted for Ellicott for this game. And last but not least, we had a huge game that happened with the reigning state champs Eaton falling to the Classical Academy by a score of 14 to seven. For the Classical Academy, they really relied on their run game and defense to hold down the reigning state champs in week one with 9 tackles for loss on defense and then a combined 45 carries and 214 yards from Andrew Brown and Riley Romine on offense that ended up being the formula for their big win. And then on defense, they also had Andrew Borchert with 3 tackles for loss and a sack. There weren't any stats posted for Eaton for this game.
0: Thank you Gino for that 2A recap, and now I'm going to go ahead and direct this back over to a familiar voice from just a couple segments ago, Gideon, to tell us about what happened in 3A over these
1: first zero and first weeks of Colorado football. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to another episode of the Playmakers Corner podcast. I'm Gideon Egner, and today I'm going to start off by going over Thursday night's games in terms of week zero of the 2023 football season that is in the 3A classification. So, we're going to start things off with basalt versus Summit. Basalt ended up winning this 128 to 0 where you see that Noah Johnston he had 80 plus yards, two passing touchdowns, six rushing yards and a rushing touchdown. Sophomore Will Tarallo, he had 127 rush yards and 35 receiving yards. Uh, william daniel as well he had 82 rush yards one rushing touchdown and six tackles then you have uh, then you have taylor hayes with 44 rush yards 24 receiving yards 39 interception return yards one interception four tackles and a pass deflection you have mav dombrowski with 10 tackles a force fumble and a fumble recovery uh, all around, when I checked this game, Summit didn't really have any stats input, so that, that's mostly the Basalt stats. However, when we're looking at uh, the other the stats from the other game that happened that night, we have Glenwood Springs who won over Aspen thirty six to twenty eight. So we have uh, we have Joaquin Sandoval, the quarterback out of Glenwood Springs. He went ten for twenty one on passing. He got a hundred hundred thirty nine pass yards. 111 rush yards, ended up with 250 aggregate yards. He had two rushing touchdowns and 10 tackles on that with two forced fumbles. Uh, We also have Mason Markovich, who had 85 rushing yards, 31 receiving yards, three conversions, two tackles, a tackle for loss, a sack, an interception, a fumble recovery, 69 fumble return yards, 13 interception return yards, and an interception return touchdown. Now, you also have Jarek Sorensen with 45 uh, receiving yards, Joey Vacavia with 27. Uh, Yeah, all around, you got a really solid night from a bunch of these Glenwood Springs guys. Uh, Shout-out to uh, Oliver Waltz. He had the other touchdown. Uh, He had uh, four tackles, one fumble recovery for 56 yards, and the touchdown. So, all around, just really, really solid from the Glenwood Springs squad. Those were the two games that happened uh, during Week 0 in 3A. So, all around, really, really good. All right, and we're back to talk about 3A Week 1 now. We have a number of games to go through. These are all stats that I was able to access by about noon on Sunday, August 27th. So, if the stats aren't in here, don't take it up with me. Take it up with your coaches. Uh, so first, George Washington won over Hinckley 53 to zero. Now I know that Hinckley is kind of the perpetual punching bag of, of 3A to 5A, but that is still an insane amount of points from a 3A squad that is losing one of the best running backs in Colorado from last year, and some and a wide receiver that's. That's currently with me up here at CSU right now. Then we have Skyview winning over Thornton, 13-0. You have Carlos Carrillo, all around uh, not the best performance from the Skyview quarterback. He he threw an interception, only had 11 pass yards. He had 16 rush yards, though, uh, and that ended up culminating in a touchdown. Um, on the Thornton side of things, uh, David Williams, who in that Wheat Ridge game last week, he ended up uh, sealing the deal for them. Uh, but he uh, he had 131 rush yards. Uh, Shea Brown from Skyview, he had 73 rush yards. Omar Loza, 14. Uh, Vincent Lopez with 10 tackles with 10 tackles and half a sack. And you've got Jeremy Ball with a touchdown, and then. Uh, Isaiah Prince and Josiah Morris with six tackles. And then also Jonathan Singleton and Ruben excuse me, with four tackles themselves. Uh, Then we have uh, Holy Family versus Frederick. Uh, Jeez, this is one that ended up very, very good for Holy Family. They ended up winning 27-8 over a team that most of the state had pretty highly regarded. Looking at the box score on this one, Frederick hasn't input any stats yet, but Rylan Cooney, the senior quarterback out of Holy Family, he went 12 for 19 on passing attempts for 144 yards. Uh, On the ground as well, he had 103 rushing yards for three touchdowns. Uh, You also have Dominic Gabriel, who had 101 rush yards. Uh, Anthony Scott with only 13 rush yards, but he had a touchdown in there as well. Uh, no receiving touchdowns, but we do have Monte Samaras uh, with 74 receiving yards. Dominic Gabriel again in the mix with 38 receiving yards. Uh, then we come down here, and we're looking at the tackles. Well, Mark Molendor, he had 11 tackles. Braden Bach with 9. Uh, you got two guys with 8. That's Connor Neely and Dominic Gabriel again. Camden Austin with 5. Joseph an with four rylan cooney also with four but one of those was a tackle for loss and then you've got uh, guerrero in there with four tackles of his own dutch vandale with a tackle for loss himself rylan cooney also with a sack vandale had a sack and then camden austin also had a sack all around this was holy family putting up the best that they possibly could uh Looks like they had two kickers in this game, which is kind of odd. Uh, Cooper Bigelow and Oliver Hansen. Let's hope they figure that out soon. And then, yeah, all around, uh, Jackson Grable. He also had a a, uh, receiving conversion as well. So pretty solid game from Holy Family to take down the Frederick Golden Eagles. Uh, Then we have Shine Mountain versus Pueblo East on that Thursday night as well. Uh, You have... Pueblo east actually coming out on top of the red-tailed hawks 35 to 13 which oof that just hurts if you're a red-tailed hawks fan because looking at it bruce Arshimbo, he had 305 yards for w- and one touchdown ouch but that also says a lot about the Pueblo east eagles defense so looking at it you have dominic sierra who had 236 pass yards Three touchdowns to one interception. Uh, rushing, you have Gabriel Garcia, who had 78 rush yards. Then Dominic Sierra, with 31 rush yards as well. He had two touchdowns. And then Pacquiao Amaro, who had a touchdown on 11 rush yards. Uh, receiving wise, you have Isaiah Trujillo. He had two touchdowns. And then Pacquiao Amaro also had 107 receiving yards. So you're having a lot of good production from the pueblo east eagles uh in terms of defensive statistics you have three pass deflections in this game uh damian allier with pass deflection brennan rowe with one and then kenny madrid um a lot of good returns uh, paki maro 34 punt with 34 kick return yards and isaiah truillo with 38 uh, paki he also had 68 punt return yards on two punt returns and then Trujillo, he had 20 yards on punt returns. So all around, a really solid game from Pueblo East. You also have a freshman kicker in Dylan Cooper from Pueblo East. I'm going to be keeping an eye on him, but he went 5-for-5 on PATs. So that's going to be a guy to keep an eye on. You can always use a trustworthy special teams. That's why the 2014 Chargers didn't make the playoffs. So ultimately, I feel pretty solid about this for pueblo east and that's all the 3a games all four of them that is that happened on thursday the 24th so i'll pass it back on to whoever we got next see you in a minute peace hello everybody and now we are on to the friday games here in 3a we have a grand total of 22 games to look at so let's try to make it quick here So first, we have Pueblo County versus Pueblo South. Uh, Pueblo County ended up coming on top 35 to 14 in this one. Uh, Cohen Glenn from County had 176 pass yards on nine completions, 14 attempts. He also had four touchdowns and a QBR of 147.3. Caden Herrera of Pueblo South, the sophomore, he was 15 of 27 passing with 152 yards, a touchdown and an interception. Uh, Rushing, looking at both teams, Uh, you've got uh, Jonathan Gonzalez out of uh, Pueblo County with 82 rush yards and a touchdown. And Joseph Wolfe from South with 37 rush yards and a touchdown. Uh, Also from South, it looks like you have uh, Ricky Dean Martinez who had 37 yards as well. Uh, you got Blake Parker, the sophomore out of Pueblo County, with 46 yards. And Caden Peters with 38. Uh, Receiving, Jonathan Gonzalez also had uh, 123 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Brock Roseman, 16 yards and one touchdown. And then Tegan Dillon with a touchdown of his own for the Hornets. Uh, Yeah, it's Hornets. Okay, good. (laughs) Uh, Receiving for the Hornets. Holtz, you have Jake Piscata and Namon Robinson sorry, as the main targets, uh, both of them sophomores. So this is a very young Pueblo South team. you got 47 receiving yards for Piscot, for, for Piscata and 40 for Robinson. Um, then we are going to go down to defense, where we see that Johnny Mooring from Pueblo County had 10 tackles. The junior, uh, Brock Roseman had... Alex Gillespie and Terrell Dillaha, excuse me, uh, had five. And uh, Gonzalez, again, he had four. Then for South, we have Ryan Lane, the senior, with 10. Chase Hurley with nine. And then after that, those were your two main guys, uh, 19 of the 29 in total. Uh, Caden Peters of Pueblo County had the sole sack of the game. Uh, Dillaha had an interception for five yards and Gonzalez had two pass deflections while Armando Manuel from South had a pass deflection. Damian Cordova and Nicholas Lopez had fumble recoveries. Chase Hurley and, Ryland, and Ryan Lane. Chase Hurley had two fumbles forced and Ryan Lane had one forced fumble. Um, punts, uh, oh, Dang, we might have to add Braden Medina uh, from from Pueblo South to the punters' watch list. Uh, In four punts, he had 171 yards. And Cohen Glenn, he might have to go on there too. He had 167 yards in three punts, so 55 yards on average on that, the longest being 73 yards. Whew. All around, solid performance from both teams, but looks like Pueblo South came out on top on that. I. I think looking at this, uh, Cohen Glenn might have to go on the watch list for Playmaker of the Week. Uh, oh dang, I'm going to have to speed this up. Uh, Northfield next. Uh, no stats have been posted from this game, but they took the win over Aurora Central, 53-0. Then we look at Lutheran from here, going up against Lutheran. The Cougars out of Minnesota. Uh, Riken Doggard with 120 st- Passing yards on five completions, so 24 yards per. Uh, On three of those completions, uh, only seven attempts, by the way, three of those completions led to touchdowns. Then you also have Jack Wieslowski uh, with 59 rush yards and a touchdown, Sawyer Wald with 58 and a tutty, and Cole Johnson with 41 rush yards and a touchdown. Reckon Doggard also with 26 rushing yards. Receiving. Uh, Joe Joseph Sissio with two receiving touchdowns and Ben Herbeck with one on 23 yards. Sissio uh, he had 97 receiving yards. Um, all around, really really good game. Uh, yeah, pretty dang solid. Uh, Sam Smullen doing what we expect him to do, uh, hitting three of four PATs. Uh, Micah Dooley with a with a PAT of his own. All around solid solid night from the Lutheran Lions. Uh, Summit ended up taking the win over Woodland Park 21 to 0. No stats in for that one yet but looking at it that's going to be something to keep an eye on uh, especially when it comes to how Woodland Park is doing this season because they actually lost pretty bad to, uh, to Summit or they beat Summit pretty pretty bad last year. Uh, looking at uh, Harrison and Widefield. Harrison lost fourteen to thirty-five. No stats input for Harrison yet. Uh, we have Durango at Farmington. Farmington's playing a lot of the Colorado schools in that part of the state. Uh, Tyler Harms he had a pretty good night, going twelve for twenty-six. So not great completion percentage-wise, and he did throw an interception. But he had but he had one hundred seventy-one yards and a touchdown. Uh, ooh. Dylan Burns with the negative 17 rushing yards. But Jackson Fancher coming out with a a surprising 101 yards and a touchdown himself. Uh, Then, yeah, receiving, we also have uh, Peyton Dyke with 68 receiving yards on two receptions. Seb Tripp with 52 receiving yards. And Loudon Grimes with 29 which was for a touchdown, a single reception there. Uh, then tackles-wise, uh, Mason Palmer, Brett Hamer, and uh, and Rodriguez here. Uh, Julian Rodriguez, each having seven tackles. Uh, Julian having one. Uh, Cully Feeney with six tackles. Dane Matlock with five. That's going to be a name to keep an eye on in 3A. Uh, Ryan Duggan with four. And Wyatt Bartell with three. Uh Jacob Newbert with a hurry, no tack, no sacks, uh, Mason Palmer and Cully Feeney uh, with an interception apiece, Jacob Newbert with two pass deflections, Fancher, Brett Hammer, and Mason Palmer with a pass deflection each, and Ryan Duggan with a fumble recovery. Uh, in terms of punts, uh, Dylan Burns, 176 yards on those punts, 44 yards per, and in yeah, all around pretty dang solid from the Demons. Just didn't get the win over Farmington. Then we have Grand Junction versus Glenwood Springs. Glenwood is a team that's actually shooting up pretty high in my rankings. Uh, Joaquin Sandoval, 13 for 23 with 192 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Uh, Mason Markovich with 180 yards, uh, rushing three touchdowns and Sandoval with hundred four yards, one touchdown, and a forty four to ten win over the Grand Junction Tigers. Uh, receiving, we were looking at Hunter Noel, Zach Bullock, and Kale Solers. Uh, Solers is as another guy to watch, uh, but Noel had ninety yards on a touchdown, and Bullock had sixty six yards and a touchdown. Tackles-wise, we are looking at Oliver Waltz and Joaquin Sandoval having seven apiece. Sandoval having a tackle for loss. Markovic had five tackles. And then you have uh, Shy Bello and Griffin Solers with three tackles apiece. Uh, fella by the name of Obrecht. Uh, yeah, M- Matwez Obrecht. I hope I'm saying that right. He had two sacks. And then uh, Griffin Solers had an interception, and Logan Shanks had a fumble recovery. All-around solid night. Uh, Sandoval and Markovic also each had uh, conversion rushes. So Glenwood Springs is putting together a very solid season, it's looking like. Uh, Then looking at Sierra versus Littleton. Sierra won 26-18. Littleton has not entered stats, but in terms of Sierra... Uh, Stankiewicz, uh, he had 93 yards on six for 11 passing and a touchdown. Um, then in terms of rushing, you don't really have too much. Uh, you have, uh, Malik Bean who had 28 rushing yards. Uh, then you have Jakel Howard with 24 and a touchdown. And then, uh, Ryan Stankiewicz, he had negative 10 rushing yards. That's not great. Now uh, receiving wise though. Malachi Brown was the guy getting it done for. He was 62 yards. And then looking at it, uh, you got uh, Williams over here. Uh, that's Christian Williams. He had six yards on one reception, but that was a receiving touchdown. So then you also have Deshaun Wilson with the saving interception at the end, make, sealing the deal for the sierra stallions in here in terms of tackles uh, malik Bean with seven uh williams also with seven uh bean had three tackles for loss uh chance zamora five tackles one for loss jerome barnes Jaquel howard and valenzuela for four and then uh, nathan sweet with three tackles and a tackle for loss uh sweet by the way he had a hurry and then yeah deshaun wilson two interceptions one of which was that game-sealer. And then uh, you also have Anderson in here. Uh, yeah, Alorenzo Anderson with an interception of his own. So, really good game. After uh, after I saw that Sierra was losing Michael Lumpkin, I wasn't sure how many games they'd win. So it's good to see that they are staying a bit successful there. Then we have uh, Niwo versus Greeley Central. No stats on that yet, but Niwo uh, winning 14-7. to Pueblo Central beating Alamosa 40-12. Pueblo Central has not entered stats yet, but all around it's looking like they uh they recovered at least three fumbles. So this was a solid defensive game for Pueblo Central. Uh, Palmer versus Sand Creek. Sand Creek ended up winning this one 20 to 12 over the Palmer Terrors. Uh, Sand Creek has entered uh, has entered their stats. Weirdly enough, Palmer has entered their all-purpose stats for just special teams and defense, uh, where we see Juan Nunley with 19 yards, uh, Quincy Amos with 15, Julian Horsey with 10 uh, all-purpose yards, and then tackles uh, tackles for Palmer. Uh, Dyson Sharpton with seven, Aiden Puentes for five and a tackle for loss. Uh, Martinez with five and a tackle for loss. Anthony Dozeman with five. Uh, Kian Dekian uh, with four and a tackle for loss in terms of interceptions, Julian Horsey and Dyson Sharpton with an interception apiece. All around a good amount of uh, good amount of production here. And then in terms of what we've got from Sand Creek though, Terrence Clay. 11 for 33 passing, but 196 yards there. Two touchdowns, two interceptions, a 49.6 QBR. Uh, E. Brothers, uh, you've got Elijah Brothers with 92 rush yards. Jaden Lyons with 46 rush yards, and Cameron Smith with 38. Uh, Then you have receiving-wise, you've got Brothers again with 106 receiving yards. Ethan Nielsen with 59 receiving yards, and Lyons again with 32. Then, uh, for some reason, the only person with tackles entered is Brothers, and then Brothers also had a punt return for 50 yards. Uh, It doesn't have listed who scored those two touchdowns, or the three touchdowns that would have had to have been scored by Sand Creek, but Sand Creek, it looks like, uh, had a bit of a Broke a stalemate there in the fourth quarter, so all-around solid game, it looks like. Uh, then we have Roosevelt and Palisade. Um, yeah, dang. Okay, so Roosevelt, Bronco Hartson, 9 for 13 with 104 yards, three touchdowns to an interception. Uh, Palisade, now Springer was their main guy. with uh, He went 3 for 4 for 28 yards. Uh, Kate. Kedden Everett also tried to pass, but he went 0 for 6 with an interception, so that's not too great. Uh, rushing, we have Caleb Johnson from Palisade with 39 rush yards and a touchdown. Uh, Kedden Everett with 28 rush yards, and Caleb Wells with 25. For the Rough Riders, Luke Hill with 79, Xavier Ramirez with 65 rushing yards, that is. Uh, v Hill, he had one touchdown. Ramirez, he had two. And then uh, Bronco Hartson with 45 rush yards. And Jace Guntel uh, with 16 rush yards and a touchdown. Receiving, you have Xavier Ramirez with 40 yards. Noah Lucero with 36. And Kara uh, Bench with 18. Uh, Kaden Potberg with seven as well. Uh, Potberg, Kara Bench, and Ramirez each had a receiving touchdown. Uh, For Palisade, Easton Embry was your main receiver with 20 receiving yards. So all around pretty solid. Uh, Then looking at tackles uh, for the Rough Riders, this was a very, very spread out affair. Uh, Noel Sanchez, the junior, he had six tackles, a tackle for loss. Evan Hayes and uh, Montanez each had four tackles. Montanez had two tackles for loss. Kaysen Lopez, three tackles. Uh, Ryder, time Time Kowitz, Aiden Henry, and Jax Armstrong all had three tackles. Meanwhile, for the Palisade Bulldogs, Caleb Reed had seven. Caleb Johnson had six. Dylan Larson had five, along with Sam Chacon, who had had five, and then a tackle for loss. Uh, Jeremiah Woolery, he had five as well, and then Julian. Tautua, he had five. Uh, Mulaney had four, and Johnston had four as well, along with Caleb Wells and Marcus Royster having three. Uh, Noel Sanchez had a sack, and Caleb Reed did as well. Marcus Royster had an interception for the Bulldogs, and then Evan Hayes did for the Rough Riders. All-around solid game for both teams. Uh, Jacob Wahaj for the Rough Riders was averaging 54 yards on kickoffs in seven attempts. All around pretty solid. But the freshman out of Palisade, Carter Hayward, uh, two kickoffs, 116 total yards, so 58 yards average on that. That's pretty solid. We're going to be keeping an eye on you in 3A. And then PATs, yeah, perfect uh, from both Sean Balch and Jacob Lahaj at Roosevelt and Carter Hayward 0-for-1. Uh, but that's pretty good distance on... A kickoff. Uh, Fort Morgan versus Conifer. Conifer one eighteen to seven. Now looking at the box score here, Conifer. Wyatt Nichols uh, seven for eight on passing, one touchdown. Uh, you have uh, you've got uh, Lansky with ninety two rush yards. Carson Payer with seventy four. Grady Forsythe, the tight end, with fifty five rush yards and a touchdown. And then Wyatt Nichols with 54 yards. Pearson Michael with only six rush yards, but he had a, t- a rushing touchdown. Then receiving, uh, Benson White, he had 23 receiving yards and a touchdown. Forsyth, 21 receiving yards, and Jackson Kossar with 10. Uh, then in terms of tackles, who? Benson White with eight, Forsyth with seven, Pearson Michael with six, and Jack Hughes with four. Bunch of guys with three. Forsyth with a sack, losing 11 yards on that. Benson White with a forced fumble. All-around pretty solid game from Conifer against Fort Morgan. Uh, then we've got Green Mountain winning 36-0 over Golden. Uh, looking at Green Mountain, all-around pretty solid. Uh, Blake Weslin with 91 yards, uh, two touchdowns. Max Cobain with uh, one pass attempt, one completion, 16 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, rushing, you've got uh, three guys with over 50 yards and Blake Weslin with two touchdowns. Noel Dacres, uh, Poligno, and Hudson Burke, he had 27. Um, <clears throat> receiving, uh, Max Shoban, he had 30. Uh, Poligno, he had 23 receiving yards and a touchdown. George Sop, he had 19 and a touchdown. Blake Weslin, 16 and a touchdown. And Austin Beeston with 19, no touchdown though. Tackles Green Mountain has not entered anything defensively yet. So uh, PATs though Brady Wilder three for four and one of one on field goals. Discovery Canyon versus Lewis Palmer. Lewis Palmer wins twenty one. No, that's the rank forty one to thirteen. Discovery Canyon no stats but Keaton Kenton Kenley from Lewis Palmer three for eight for sixty one yards touchdown and an interception. Uh, rushing Jaden Pagano, the junior from Lewis Palmer, two touchdowns, 171 yards, Luke DeBoer, 96 rush yards, two touchdowns, Kenton Kenley, 28 rush yards and a touchdown. Uh, Joe Knisley and Jaden Pagano are the two receivers for Lewis Palmer in this game. Uh, Pagano, 24 yards and a touchdown, Nisley, 37 yards total. Then we have Jared Moore. He had an interception for, for, it's looking like 15 yards here. Um, Yeah, all around pretty solid game for the, for the, for Lewis Palmer. Sorry, my ass got caught by the kickoffs. I'm sure that's a typo. Uh, Probably meant to say 260 yards, but it says 26 on seven kickoffs, so that can't be right. Uh, That, Had me really confused there for a moment. Yeah, solid game against uh, what was a playoff squad last year. Then we have Meade losing to Windsor 7-10. Honestly, not too surprised. Windsor is one of the best defenses in the state. Uh, Christian Heiner and Meade, uh, 15 for 26, 161 yards. One touchdown to two interceptions, unfortunately. Rushing. Only three guys had positive yards on the five that carried. And of them, none had over 20 yards. Ryan St. Aubin had 15 yards. Cole Michaelis, he had 15. And then Edison Burke had nine rush yards. A lot of receiving, though. Uh, You had one, two, three, four, five, six guys over 20 yards. Uh, Edison Burke with 37 yards, that one touchdown. Ty Olson with 29. Angel Johnson and Ethan Scallon with 22 apiece, Ryan St. Aubin with 20 and Stevenson with 20. Uh, in terms of tackles, uh <laughs> sorry, with nine total tackles, a tackle for loss, Kale Hansen and JD Hamilton with seven apiece, Cody McDonald and Spend Love with six. So Josh Gonzalez with five, Hagen Williams and Bryce Melichar with four. Melichar had two tackles for loss, and then Caleb Elmore with three tackles and a tackle for loss. Uh, Spendlove with a with a sack. Craddishville uh, with two pass deflections, and Cody McDonald with one. So all around pretty pretty dang solid there from Meade. Unfortunately, they did lose. I'm uh, going to skip around here a little bit. Uh, Kennedy lost to Mesa Ridge, 57-0. I'm not going to go in on that one. Uh, Pablo Centennial lost to denver north 41-0 not going to go in on that one either uh that's uh that's just depressing uh then we're going to go eagle valley versus basalt so eagle valley has not entered stats yet but they did lose uh 15 to 49 then we have res christian beating Moffat county 14 to 0 uh jackson zanka from res christian the sophomore 8 for 12 for 85 yards and a touchdown uh, Rushing-wise, uh, Hunter Hansen with 91 yards, Grant Appleby with 65, Sanka with 55. Uh, receiving, you've got Sam Johnson with 55, and then Grant Appleby, 25 yards in the touchdown. In terms of defense, uh, your main guy was Seamer, uh, nine tackles there. Uh, then you got Will Reeves with six, uh, Christian Seamer, that is. Uh, and then Grant Appleby with four and a tackle for loss. Uh, Skeet Malone with two tackles and a tackle for loss. And then Zach Coet with three tackles. Uh, Skeet Malone with an interception. And then uh, Will Reeves with a force fumble. And Sam Johnson with a fumble recovery for three yards. All around pretty solid from uh, Rez Christian over an experienced Moffat County team. Uh, then we have one that we got a lot of DMs about in Mountain View and Riverdale Ridge. Um Yes, we know that we predicted you to go one and nine. Riverdale Ridge, uh, you ended up winning against Mountain View thirty nine to seven. Riverdale Ridge, uh, Mountain View hasn't entered staff, but Riverdale Ridge, uh, Isaiah Medina, fifteen for twenty one for one hundred fifty eight yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Uh, Diego Galvin, uh, the sophomore, with one hundred thirty two yards and a touchdown. Amari Lucero, the junior, eighty one yards and a touchdown, and Isaiah Medina. 25 yards and the touchdown uh, receiving jay o- Otanez uh, 63 yards and touchdown marcus mcfadden 56 and touchdown uh, and then jeff uh, jeter mcarthur 18 yards abby abby samuel 12 yards uh, in terms of, uh, and that's all they have they only have offensive stats so good job proving us wrong guys uh Finally, though, we're going over to game of the night here, in my opinion. Severance versus Canyon City. Uh, Severance was down uh, 22 points in the second half, from what I've heard. Uh, Canyon City has not entered stats yet, but we're going to go off of Severance for what I think could be uh, two playmaker of the week candidates. Um, So, Passing Jaden Hoffman, 17 for 27 for 254 yards, four touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, rushing, you have uh, you have Jaden Hoffman with 41 rush yards, Ian Penick with 33, and Jeremiah Hoffman with 29. Receiving, this is going to blow your socks off. Jeremiah Hoffman, 167 receiving yards with one touchdown, Brady Varney with 43 and two touchdowns, Ian Penick with 35 and one touchdown. Uh, in terms of tackles, Kelson Gazdick, uh, 13 tackles, one for loss. Anna Kanderson, 12, none for loss. Mason Campbell, 11, with two for loss. Cisneros, 10. Reed Green, 9. Alex Vaughn, Brady Varney, Gabriel Hogan, all 6. Caden Glover and Ryan Myers for 5. Ethan Shears er, for 4. A lot of guys on here. Uh, two pass deflections from Reed Green and two forced fumbles. And then Brett Varney with a pass deflection of his own Alex Vaughn for three three of three for from PATs and then uh, let's take a look at the special teams Uh, Jeremiah Hoffman with 113 kickoff return yards 113 kickoff return yards and in terms of points in terms of touchdowns uh, he also had a kickoff return touchdown in there so all around, this was a 39-36 uh, win by Severance. Great win for that squad. All right, everybody. Time for my last segment of today's episode where we cover the Saturday games in 3A for Week 1. First, we have Wheat Ridge versus Fort Lupton. Wheat Ridge ended up losing this one 22-24. Uh, one quick thing. I'm not sure how a one-point safety happened uh, in the third quarter of this one. I honestly have no clue. If somebody would be willing to fill me in on that, I'd love to know. Uh, but yeah, on the Wheat Ridge side of things, whew, if they'd won this game, I would have heavily considered giving Isaac McCune a a playmaker of the weak spot. But Isaac McCune, he went 20 for 30 passing uh, with 286 pass yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Uh Giles Ballinger, uh the sophomore, he had one pass attempt, which was completed for 20 yards and a touchdown. a uh, rushing Isaac McCune again, 61 rush yards and a touchdown there. Uh Ballinger, 58 rush yards, Trey Perkins, 35 rush yards, and Devin Castillo with 25 rush yards. Receiving Bennett Wilkes, 172 receiving yards for a touchdown. Nick Dalton with 86 receiving yards. Uh, Frank Erickson, 29 and a touchdown. Uh, then we go down to tackles. Angel, Angel Bueno and Devin Castillo with 9 tackles apiece. Uh, we've got uh, Frank Erickson with 4 tackles. Then we have Max Kriegbaum-Gaskill. Uh, Kreekbaum Gaskill, he had five tackles. Van Lyon, the freshman, with three, along with Nick Dalton, with three for himself. Isaiah Flores, two tackles, one for loss. And Xavier Brown's sole tackle was for loss as well. Xavier Brown, he had a sack, by the way. And then uh, Kreekbaum Gaskill, he had two hurries. Isaac McCune, both sides of the ball here, an interception for 18 yards. Frank Erickson also had an interception for two yards. Uh Bennett Bennett Wilkes and Nick Dalton, along with Isaiah Flores, each had a pass deflection. And uh, all around, yeah, so Callum Gordon, two kicking points, Devin Castillo with a conversion. Uh Gordon went two for two on PATs. I'm I'm trying to figure out where here that that one point in the third quarter came from. Uh but you know, it is what it is. Um <laughs> yeah all-around solid game from wheat ridge just couldn't pull it out over uh anthony bland mendon halls blue devils and then finally over to northridge versus gateway northridge ended up winning this one 37 to 0 you have justin thrill the quarterback with 169 pass yards and three touchdowns uh phil negative five rushing yards that's not great but uh Raul Gallegos with 79 rush yards and a touchdown. Receiving-wise, uh, Brandon Asmus with 94 receiving yards and a tutty. Caden Brink with 41 and a tutty. And then Sage Olsen with 21 receiving yards. Wyatt Hill, the sophomore, with 5 receiving yards. Uh, one reception, but that reception was a receiving touchdown. So a great job by the sophomore getting it where you needed to there. Tackles-wise... A.J. Evans, nine tackles, one tackle for loss. Raul Gallegos, or Howell Gallegos, uh, four tackles, one for loss. Sage Olson and Dallin Burcell also four tackles. A lot of guys with four tackle with uh, with two tackles though. Uh, Leo Ariz Mendez, uh, two tackles, both of which were for loss, and then Jorge Espinosa, Espinosa. Uh, one tackle that was for loss as well. Uh, Leo Ariz-Mendez, uh, two sacks as along with <laughs> two tackles, both of which were for loss. Uh, Wyatt Hill, the sophomore, again with an interception. And then uh, I'm assuming, uh, yeah, so we have the junior McKnight as well with an interception. That's, uh, that's Braylon McKnight with the interception. All-around solid from this Northridge team granted it is gateway like I nothing nothing against you but gateways gateway um, Dylan Phipps five for five from pats by the way uh, so solid job there Dylan but oh and then uh, McKnight did get an interception return touchdown so all around Northridge good job I am gonna have to see more from you to put you on on my top 10 but that is a very solid win to open the season. So good job all around to you. Thank you, Gideon. And
0: it is back to me, Cody Stoffer, where I'm gonna be talking about 4A football. So let's go ahead and talk about week zero first. Not too much to talk about here, but in this opening week, Pueblo West did beat up on Grand Junction 32-0. to Gavin Lockett with a masterclass, leading the team in rushing and passing for 234 yards and combining five scores, two passing, three rushing. Brock Keck led the receiving core with five receptions, 79 yards, and a score. And junior Garrett O'Brien catches a score while also getting an interception. Now, big news out of week zero is that Monarch gets by Boulder 22-7, but at a cost. Asher Ewing goes out early, and junior quarterback Riley Montemayor goes in and churns out a solid 17-of-26 performance with no turnovers. He even finds Pater with his legs, along with senior Brody Gray, who ran for the Yotes' other two scores. The team win also included six different receivers notching receptions, so Monarch stays afloat here, And it is important to monitor this Asher and Riley situation heading forward. Now, on to week one, where there was a ton of poor action here. Let's just go ahead and jump into it. You know, I think it's headlined by Bear Creek's big win, 46-13 against Lakewood. Adrian Rico connected with Ryan Bobick seven times for five scores and 144 yards. Looking to be one of the best quarterback to wide receiver duos maybe in the state. We'll see how it looks against some other opponents. Now, after being down 19-7 at half, Palmer Ridge rallies with a 14-point third quarter to outlast the Montrose Redhawks in a 28-27 thriller win to start the season. Yep, we're already having some one-point contests here in week one. Derek Hester was solid, completing 75% of his passes, limiting turnovers, and punching it in for three scores while leading the team in carries against a very sturdy Montrose defense. James Jimmer Ware was the crutch of the passing game, catching six of Hester's nine completions for 107 yards and a score on a night where no one else was really given anything for free. PAT's Matter And this one-point game with heavy ranking implications for playoffs stamps that. Now on to another rematch of last year's opener. Denver South, this time at All-City, beat Skyline with 40-plus for the second straight season. The Ravens started the score with a 61-yard touchdown run. But the big plays wouldn't stop there as they had gains of 42-33 on a hook and ladder in Week 1, nonetheless. And a 21 yarder that was one of many scores at the hands of new quarterback junior felipe in a season where we weren't sure on what the offense would look like they scored 42 and gained 437 yards in week one now centaurus here they get a big win against boulder 35-7 with the senior combo of chance wood and ben mishki being efficient through the ground and the air Chance threw two scores and 225 yards on 73% completion, and then Ben rushed for 100-plus and two scores. Solid win for Centaurus here. Now, in, in power ranking news, at least, or power ranking implied news, Blake Barnett throws three picks on the road against a very solid Vanguard squad in Florida, and the Tigers still only lose by a single score. That may not sound like a good thing, but I promise you this Vanguard squad is very solid. They competed in the playoffs in Florida last year, so I think that this is actually not necessarily the worst thing. This is week one. It gives Blake some time to clean it up. It does raise some alarms, but Erie will still be in the top then. Now, Mashu Ramakwa. Runs for 173 yards and three touchdowns as Rampart rams Coronado 49-6. I am sorry if that is butchering that name. But as I continue, the Cadets ride a steady and balanced offense to a 21-7 win over Liberty. Future quarterback Maddox Daniels goes 14 for 19 for 186 yards and two touchdowns to one pick while senior tailback Gabe Dillamuth notches 23 carries for 121 yards and the other score. Now, let's go ahead and take a look at how the defending champs did in their Week 1 matchup, where they blew out Longmont 42-14. to Now, in this game, it is reported that just the Broomfield defense shut down Longmont's run game most of the night, you know Cole Gaddis. he still had some good runs but he was fighting for every inch just didn't get a lot of opportunities with this Broomfield's defense that you know really just clamped down on the run and forced Longmont to pass and they just weren't really able to capitalize or adapt the Trojans that is now Broomfield they were able to run the ball very very well they had pitches that were going for a ton of yards. Colin Torres had an incredible game and this O-line was just blowing up and, you know, leaving massive lanes to run. They would get pancakes and go to the whistle and they just, you know, roadblocks all the way for the entirety of plays and just showing their level of dominance, getting to the second level and just making this game nice and easy for the offense. Now, the quarterback play on both sides apparently seemed to be a little shaky. Uh CT Worley with in his much much anticipated start does not throw a touchdown, but, you know, he does need to settle in and just miss some deep shots, but you know, I think that there's nothing to panic about. It is week 1 but that is just what we were reported with. He still puts up a decent stat line, completing over 50% of his passes, but these are just the notes I have from Week 1. But it doesn't matter as Broomfield still looks like the best team in 4A following Week 1. Greeley West loses to Mountain Range and just cannot get a lick of offense established as they lose 9-0. Pueblo East wins big 35-13 over Cheyenne Mountain. East allowed 305 yards to Bruce Archambault, but were stingy against the run, holding Cheyenne Mountain to only two rushing yards. And meanwhile, Dominic Sierras tossed two scores and ran for another two for the Pueblo East Eagles, beating Cheyenne Mountain. Thornton lost to Skyview 13-0. Vista Ridge gets embarrassed 42-7 by Legend with only one first down to show for in the first half but more on that game and about Legends' performance from Simon will come later. Fruit of Monument showed that they mean business with a 46-20 win over Grand Junction Central that included five sacks, seven tackles for loss, and a couple of scores on defense-special teams, those being an Aiden Anderson pick six and an Andres Palafox kickoff return for a touchdown. Amari Wilson held it down on the ground with three rushing scores on seven carries, and Wyatt and Andres did their own damage, accounting for 31 carries, 126 yards, and a touchdown in this week one win. Aurora Central got blanked by Northfield. Thomas Jefferson defeats Pomona on the heels of a 200-plus rushing yard performance from Dimitri Haralambopoulos, and the defense got Nine tackles for loss, two sacks, and recovered three fumbles, just absolutely suffocating the Panthers. Vista Peak Prep was running away with this game against Rangeview until a fight in the third quarter would end this contest. Not sure how that's going to be officially marked down come Max Prep's time, but Vista Peak looked like they were far and above the better team. Falcon could not keep up with Fountain Fort Carson despite Carter Thorpe's best effort, rushing for 190 yards. Adams City got shut out by Northland, 42-0. Loveland rides a 14-point third quarter to a 28-26 win over Fossil Ridge. Familiar names as far as guys like Caden Stansbury, who unofficially has 24 yards, two touchdowns on six carries, and then getting tackles on the defensive side of the ball and some hurries, and then Cody Moore, who is also making plays for this Loveland squad, you know, at D end and whatnot. So Loveland does get the win over Fossil Ridge there by just two points to start their season. The Grizzlies essentially did whatever they wanted, beating Kennedy 57 to0, and the ease is most obvious from Mesa Ridge's Tanner Wittick's stat line of three catches for 110 yards and a score. Greeley Central got upset by Niwot, 14-7. to And then all quarterbacks have a great time against Foco as Ponderosa throws six touchdowns and all three QBs have QBRs over 140. And junior watch list receiver Max Mervin goes for 217 yards and a pair of scores. They just were unstoppable on offense and red hot. And they have depth, they have options, and yeah, this is a very exciting team for sure. And then despite Kenshi's raise three rushing scores, far Northeast would lose to Westminster 50-48 with a game-winning touchdown being thrown in the last half minute. More on that from Simon later. Monarch beats Stanley Lake to keep their undefeated season alive, and Montemarro was in at QB again, and didn't miss a beat, accounting for over 200 total yards and throwing three scores to no picks. Antonio Beal recorded 11 tackles and two in the backfield for the Coyotes. Meanwhile, Stanley Lake tried to survive off of a healthy dose of Liam Graham and Braden Smith, who combined for over 200 rushing yards for the Gators, and Liam scored twice, but that was just not enough to overcome Monarch. Senior quarterback for Widefield put in work, Rushing for three scores and tossing one as well. That's Paul Mitchell. And then Quavon Bryant led the team in carries with 10. Carries for 69 yards. Nice in a wide field win over Harrison. Silver Creek comes out and struggles through the air despite Cole Rogers' efforts. 27 rushes for 116 yards and three scores. But they end up losing to Prairie View 43-35. Russell Meinke still recorded over 100 yards on just four catches with a long of 78, but nonetheless, the Raptors with kind of an underwhelming start, not going to lie. Now, in Eagle news, going for two was no good, and the Eagles lose to the Golden Eagles. Heritage loses to Mountain Vista by a single point, but there's still plenty to be happy about here. Kurt Rosner's debut yielded 381 passing yards and five scores, Three of them going to Tanner Turch, who put up an insane stat line. 12 receptions for 263 yards and three touchdowns. That is playmaker of the week worthy. It's just unfortunate that they didn't come out with the win. And then Cam Jensen and Luca Pasola had the other catches. The Eagles' run defense heritage, of course, was formidable. But they were porous on the air attack with Marczewski comfortably dismantling them more on that later with Simon. Now, another four, a news grand junction got blitzed by Glenwood. And I remember how funny they thought they were last season. (laughs) I don't forget. I don't forget. But you know, I remember grand junction was like, Hey, we beat Glenwood Springs. You were wrong. And now they just got absolutely massacred by Glenwood Springs. Wrong prediction for the wrong year, but regardless, they end up making fools of themselves. I got a memory like an elephant. I don't forget. But Will advocate does find Pater, though, and, you know, is still the stud for that Grand Junction squad. Golden gets blown out by Green Mountain, as noted by Gideon. Windsor narrowly escapes Meade 10-7. to 7. Palmer cannot outrun their turnovers and lose to 3A Sand Creek 20-12. And then Gavin Lockett was sensational in Pueblo West's win over Dakota Ridge. He opened up the scoring with a rushing score. And then after falling behind 6-7, he dots up Garrett O'Brien for a 70-yard score to pull ahead before half. Now, Dakota Ridge ties it up in the second half. And then Lockett has one less chance and runs it in for the go-ahead score with under a minute left and catapults the Cyclones into the top 10. More on that later, please stay tuned. And not to be outdone, the defense did recover a fumble to officially put the game away. And then Gateway got shut out by Northridge once again, as alluded to by Gideon. And that does it for the 4A recap before I pass it off to Simon and Gideon who are gonna take turns recapping 5A action between week zero and week one. And then Simon's gonna do the full 5A classification recap. Then we got some power rankings and playmakers of the week. But first, a word from one of our sponsors. Obviously, you want a trainer who can make you stronger and faster with the work you put in. But what about a trainer who can help you rehab and recover like the pros? Look no further than junkyard training that not only offers specific strength and speed training, but also offers a plethora of recovery and rehab techniques like cryo, cupping, recovery boots, and so much more. Learn more today by visiting junkyardtraining.net or call 303-521-7594. Once again, visit junkyardtraining.net or call 303-521-7594 and get started today.
5: Okay, let's go ahead and recap the week zero matchup between Mountain Vista and Ralston Valley in Highlands Ranch going into this game. At least according to our preseason rankings, Ralston Valley was tied for second and Mountain Vista sat at five. So big matchup to start here with potential playoff implications here. Mounted Vista would start off with the ball and would have a pretty nice drive here with Austin Madreski finding Japri Jennings a handful of times, notably twice to begin and go get a first down here on a curl and out route. Following that, Jack Blaze would go ahead and get a nice first down on an outside zone. That would put them past midfield there. But that's when they would kind of start to struggle here. Uh, There was a penalty for a blindside block. And then following that, it looks like there was another penalty thrown. This time on Ralston Valley. That made it second and nine, though. Um, But, you know, uh, they would eventually go get a first down here, throwing it to... Elam Precies, I want to say, who gets the first down. But then they throw a penalty on Mountain Vista. Couldn't quite catch what it was, but it was a five yard penalty. Making it first and fifteen. They would then try a swing pass to Carter Daniels, which was stopped pretty short here. Then they would try another screen pass to C.J. Reese, but there would be a penalty on Mountain Vista, so that would make it second and nineteen. On second down, Austin would then try to scramble, but would only get a couple of yards. Here's a solid amount, making it third and ten. But on third down, there's a miscommunication on this throw, and so it was in complete here uh, on top of that they also throw a penalty on Mountain Vista making it fourth and 25 and so they punt and Ralston takes over with about seven minutes left in the first Ralston would start by running the ball here, uh, but wouldn't get much yardage here. toss would go nowhere, making it 2nd and 8. Then Logan Madden, their quarterback, would scramble for 3, making it 3rd and 5. Following that, Ralston Valley would attempt a mid-screen pass here, but it goes nowhere as Carter Daniels is there and stops it. And so just like that, Ralston Valley goes 3 and out, and Mountain Vista gets the ball back here. Uh, With about four, about five minutes left here in the first quarter. But after a couple plays, it is third and six here. They run another screen pass and Modruski throws it. But it is bat down by Tyrese Johnson. A big play for him right there. Following that, it is 4th and six here, and it looks like Mountain Vista is going to go ahead and go for it. They are on the other side of the field, and so they go ahead and take a shot downfield. Austin Modreski rolls right and launches one deep, and it looks like it's on the money, but he leads his receiver, Ja'Kai Mack, a little bit too far and he actually runs into the pole of the goal post here. Um, and so that's obviously incomplete. A turnover on downs. Ralston Valley gets the ball with about 4.16 left in the first on the 36-yard line. Now Ralston Valley would get the ball and it wouldn't go as great here. They would find themselves in a 3rd and eleven situation. But on 3rd down, Logan Madden rips a nice throw to Jackson Hansen on the comeback route. Making it a 1st down on the forty eight right after that play near midfield Logan Madden drops back it looks like There has to be some sort of miscommunication with the offensive line because immediately the two edge rushers for Mountain Vista are released here. And so Madden is immediately under pressure, but he lets one loose. A beautiful bomb down the left sideline to Liam Beattie on a 40-ish yard pass. A huge chunk play to give Ralston Valley some life there. Plus a first down here. A couple runs to Brady Weldon, the running back, would go ahead and make it a third-and-one situation. Uh they would try a quarterback sneak with Madden, but he'd be stopped short by number 75 of Mountain Vista there. That or sorry, I believe that would be number 76 of Mountain Vista. That's Orion Ulmer. And so that would bring up fourth and one here. But they would go ahead and run the option play here and pitch it to Brady Weldon or get it to Weldon and he would punch it in, making it six to zero, seven to zero after the extra points. Now, Mountain Vista will get the ball back with about two minutes left here in the first quarter. Still plenty of time here, but not much going there away as, well, they would get a first down on a screen pass to C.J. Reese. But after that, a shot down the left sideline to C.J., um, which was a great throw by Austin Madreski, is just dropped. And so that's a big 40 or 50-yard play. That is just a race there. On second down, they do a draw to Jack Blaze. Doesn't go much. And so that brings up third and six. And then on third and six, Austin Madreski is under pressure by Kit LeBlanc. Forcing an incompletion and a punt there. So there you go there. Now... Not much more would happen in the first quarter as Ralston Valley gets the ball here and would run a couple plays to end it. So let's fast forward to the beginning of the second quarter, about third and seven here. Uh, Ralston Valley calls their first timeout, I believe that's the first of the half here. And so they have two left in this half. And so following that timeout on third and seven, Logan Madden on the roll right, rips a nice throw to Jackson Hansen for a first down, making it first and ten across midfield on the 48-yard line. A couple plays later, it is third and four. Ralston Valley runs an RPO here. Perfect play call. Logan Madden finds Liam Beattie on the slant, who is wide open, makes a player miss, and walks it in for the touchdown, making it 13-0 here. That's a 42-yard touchdown from Madden to Beatty, But the extra point would be blocked by Carter Daniels, making it a 13-0 to game. Now this Ralston Valley defense is fired up after that. And they get some big plays by George Patterson with a big tackle for loss on first down. Then Laird Jones gets a nice sack on Austin Majewski, making it third and 12. Following that, Tyrese Johnson applies the pressure, forcing a three and out There. Now Ralston Valley on offense will not quite be able to get anything going here. Um they would actually find themselves in a third and twelve situation thanks to Aiden Vincent um smelling out a draw play there and stopping it short. And so on third and twelve Madden tries to throw the comeback, but Bailey of Mountain Vista is there forcing a fourth down and another. Now, Vista would get the ball back, and they would try to get something going here as they don't want to go down three scores, potentially, if Ralston Valley gets the ball back. And so, here we go. A couple plays in. It's third and two here. Jack Blaze on the outside zone uh, run here. Right, that is. Gets the first down, putting them on the 45. Following that, it looks like Austin Majewski tries to throw it on a trick play, uh, but not too much happens there and so that makes it second and 15 following that Majewski tries to rush left but only gets a couple yards making it third and 13 and then here on third down Majewski tries to take a shot down the right sideline deep here but it is in double coverage and Jack Wagner gets a huge interception it probably wasn't going to be complete either way but a huge interception regardless to go ahead and kill that drive Now, the struggles for this Ralston Valley offense would kind of continue here with Carter Daniels making some pretty big plays, including a pass breakup on 2nd and 7. That would force 3rd and 7, obviously, and then another great pass breakup, which was actually almost intercepted, but would force Fourth and seven here, and eventually a three and out. And that would give Mountain Vista an opportunity to drive down the field here on third and 13. Austin Modreski finds CJ Reese on a deep curl that gives them a first down, putting them on the 31. Following that, it is about fourth and three here. Um, Madreski, they decide to go for it. He throws a curl to Japree Jennings, makes a great catch. All hands here and breaks a couple of tackles, making a, making it a first down on a gain of about six. There, following that. They run the ball a couple of times, which brings up a third and three situation. Ralston Valley would eventually call their last timeout here. And so coming out of the timeout, third and three, this is what happens. They are in the red zone at this point. Madreski tosses it to Jack Blaze on what looks to be a running play. But then Blaze throws it to Sean Conway here. And so that's good for a touchdown. And the PAT is good, making it 13-7 with about a minute 36 left here. Now now uh, Ralston Valley excuse me would try to get something going here but would not be able to and so that would be the score going into the second half now not too much would actually happen here in the second half Ralston Valley would go three and out to start here uh, nice stops by Aiden Vincent and number 18 for Mountain Vista here I believe that is Wyatt Siemens. so There you go. Now, Mountain Vista would get the ball back, but would not get too much going on here. Um, A big sack by number 75, Jake Huffman, would basically put this drive away, making it 3rd and 19 here. And then, once more, Austin Madreski is sacked by Kit LeBlanc and Tyrese Johnson. That would force a punt. So, still in the 3rd quarter here, uh, Ralston would get the ball here. They would not get a first down i thought they would here um but they would not get a first down a big sack by aiden vincent will knock them out of first down territory and so they would punt it back here but the three and outs continue as mountain vista would also go three and out as austin on third down is sacked by george patterson and jay kuffman again and so there you go there they would go three and out and would actually try a fake here but it is stuffed uh, luckily enough, Ralston Valley is not able to capitalize on that. They try to run it with Brady Weldon a couple of times here, and that's kind of when we get into the fourth quarter. They do, or sorry, they would actually get a first down, um, but there would be a kind of a interesting fumble i mean week zero things happen right but it looked like some sort of miscommunication or some mess up with the handoff and so the ball would be fumbled here and mountain vista would recover let me make sure i get that i believe that is number three Austin Shike I want to say who would get the key fumble recovery and that was huge because they were basically in the red zone really looking to put this one away so that would keep them alive there but Mountain Vista would not get too much going here they would make a you know a couple plays here to get a couple first downs a nice post route to Shaqai Mack would really get them going here eventually they would get into the red zone here and on third and seven this was a key down here Austin Madreski tries to throw it into the flat route for a check down, but it is dropped, bringing up fourth and seven with about six minutes left here. And then on fourth down, they decide to go for it. Austin tries to throw the fade route, but it is well covered and also overthrown, so that's a turnover on downs. and That's when Ralston Valley really begins to run out the clock here. They wouldn't get the ball back to Mountain Vista until the 1 minute 45 second mark, as they would start on their 7, or on the 7 yard line here, with 93 yards to go. To start, Austin would hit his check down, making it 2nd and 8. Following that, Majewski would then roll right and. Then reverse left and then would try to throw it up the seam to CJ Reese. But this one once more is easily intercepted by Jack Wagner getting a second interception of the game. And just like that, that is ball game. Ralston Valley wins 13 to 7 in a sloppy yet big time dub for them to start the season. It wasn't as explosive of a game as we thought it would be, but it was a Week 0 game. You could tell there were a lot of things that were still falling into place here. Uh, Players getting used to each other, getting used to the pressure and all that stuff. Both teams seemed a little far from being in mid-season form, which is fair. Um, But, you know, this is definitely a game that's going to matter. Down the line, especially when it comes to seeding and whatnot. Ralston Valley getting this big dub is huge for them. And then for Mountain Vista, that definitely hurts them if they wanted to get ranked above Valley or above a bunch of other teams as well. As Ralston Valley was ranked very high to start this season. So there you go there. Uh, great game altogether though, and a good way to start the 2023 Colorado High School football season.
1: Hello everybody and welcome back to our first game recap. My name is Gideon and today I'm going to take you through the week one matchup between the Rock Canyon Jaguars and the Pooter Impalas. So, before we start, uh, in case uh, you don't know how I go through things here, I go through a quarter by quarter recap of each of the two teams. one team at a time so first today i'll go with pooter and then i'll go with rock canyon then i'm going to go through defensive playmaker of the game offense playmaker of the game and overall playmaker of the game for each team obviously the guy who got the playmaker of the game on the winning team is going to be the playmaker of the game for the game as a whole there are special circumstances like last year's 1a championship game with tell wade where i will make an exception but those are very few and far between. Now, to start this off, I do have a disclaimer. So up here at CSU, I do have a job in Rocky Mountain Student Media. The thing is that the Pooter starting quarterback, his mom's boyfriend is my boss. So I'm going to do my best to keep that potential bias from affecting my judgment when covering the Impalvas this year and during today's recap, but I just wanted to fully disclose that conflict of interest with all of you here. Now, on to the game. So, starting off in the first quarter, Hooter did win the coin toss and elected to defer to Rock Canyon. Uh, Colton Mills Younger, he he kicked off, which ended up being a touchback. Uh, Ryan Vandiver got a tackle on the return and then shared one with number 22, who was not listed on the roster, before forcing a punt. Uh, Max Schubert ran for one, followed by Matt Manns throwing to Brady Brown for six. Manns ran for two, but after a couple of empty downs, they decided to go for it on fourth and nine. However, after a penalty, they did punt, which went 36 off of Colton Mills-Younger's foot. Uh, Now, this was actually dropped by the punt returner and recovered by Braden Barker, but due to a flag on the play, they did have to re-punt. Uh, Vandiver got another tackle, and then yet another, this time assisted by Jackson Thole. Uh, Logan Chapman got a tackle, followed shortly by Evan Griffiths. Uh, Griffiths and Vandever shared a tackle for loss, and then Thole got another of his own. Rylan Minnick got a tackle, followed by Vandever and Cassius Garcia who brought down a runner for a loss. This held Rock Canyon back far enough that they forced a field goal attempt where the Impalas went down 0-3. Lachman then returned the kickoff for 21 yards and then Max Schubert ran for one. However, unfortunately, Matt Manns then threw a pick six, which made it so that Puder was down 0-10. Gary Lachman had the return but fumbled it, but thankfully for Puder, it was recovered which was then unfortunately followed by Schubert getting tackled for loss. Manns ran for eight and then baited Rock Canyon offsides before the quarter ended. Entering the second quarter, after a five-yard penalty, Manns threw to Brown for six yards. After a couple of nothing burger downs, Colton was Younger punted, where the defender tackled on a fair catch. Ugh this game you'll you'll see throughout but there was just a lot of ugliness happening in the play for both teams a lot of penalties here uh vandiver then tackled again followed by griffiths Uh, vandiver and number 22 shared to tackle again but pooter ultimately allowed a field goal going down 13 to zero after chapman returned the ball for 12 Manns passed to Braden Meyer for five. Schubert then ran for two before Manns targeted CMY, Colton Mills-Younger, for the first time this game for six yards. Manns then got 12 more of his own, where Meyer did a really, really good job blocking, actually. Manns then ran for seven more before a timeout. Chapman caught for 12, and then Thole caught for four. An incomplete pass stopped the clock with under a minute left in the half, which then allowed Chapman to catch a five-yard pass. However, with 16 seconds left, uh, Coach, uh, he spent 10 seconds arguing with the ref over an illegal man downfield call instead of calling time out. And this this led to there only being a seven-yard run to close the half. When Puder was on about the 30-yard line, they could have, with that 16 seconds, they could have done a lot. But due to an argument with the referees, they ended up having to... I mean, they got it back because they deferred to start the game. But it was not a good possession there at the end. Uh, that that two-minute drill really wasn't working. Um, so, entering the third quarter, uh, they were down 13-0. to zero, But that we all know that that's a game that you can come back from, you know? <laughs> and so even, so they had possession to start the half. But it was as empty as a promise from a politician... Uh, which ended up leading to a 38-yard punt by Colton Mills-Younger. And then you have Chapman and Griffiths sharing a tackle, which was followed by one, be- which is credited to Hunter Jesse. Uh, Brody Van Cleave got a tackle, but then Vandiver went on a killing spree. He got three tackles in a row, sharing one of them with Chapman. Uh, Van Cleave got one, followed by Quinton Orr. Uh, Griffiths had a tackle, and then Minnick had one of his own. Followed by Meyer and Vandiver sharing some takeout before Evan Griffiths got a sack and a tackle on back-to-back downs. This ended up leading to a field goal, which was blocked, but (laughs) roughing the kicker was called, uh, which was absolutely lovely to watch, I'll tell you what. after a solid goal line stand and a couple of group tackles led by Brody Van Cleave, the Impalas allowed the final score of the game, going down 20-0. to uh, After allowing a sack, there were a couple of incomplete passes. Uh, Manns connected with Brown for 12 before another sack was allowed to end the third quarter. Uh, to start the final frame, Manns passed to Chapman for 13, Schubert ran for three, but this was brought back the very next play by an encroachment call. Um, Manns ran for eight and then again for two before Chapman got the ball 35 yards downfield. However, this preceded a holding call, so it was brought back. Uh, After an incomplete pass, the Impalas were forced to punt, which Colton Mills-Younger got 61 yards. Uh, Let me say that again, 61 yards on that punt. That's Zach Talbot numbers. That's Ryan Stonehouse numbers. And he's not even the regular punter. He was filling in for the dude because he was hurt. <laughs> and so Van Cleve got a tackle and then shared one with Griffiths. Uh, Meyer brought a man down before por- forcing before a punt. Uh, Pooter tried and then failed to the pull a trick play. And then Manns connected once more with Chapman for nine yards, but Holding brought it back again. All around just really undisciplined from Pooter. Uh, there was almost another interception, and then Thole did give it away on a fumble. Garrett Sims got a tackle, and then Brady Brown got one. Minnick and Vandiver combined for, attack, for a takedown, and then CMY got one himself. Uh, Jeff, Jesse forced a fumble, which gave them back the ball. But after an illegal motion call, Manns got the ball 35 yards on the ground. Uh, Manns then passed to Mills Younger for five. And after some timeouts and a, Griffith, and a Griffiths tackle, uh, the game was pretty much over. So going back over this game, uh, the defensive playmaker of the game, I would, I'm going to give it a co-defensive playmaker of the game. We've got Evan Griffiths and Ryan Vandiver. Uh, Griffiths and Vandever were all over the field during this one, and they were really the main driving force be- behind why Pooter held Rock Canyon to 20 points. Last year pooter lost this team like i I think it was 40 44 to 7 and so granted it isn't great what you were doing on offense but holding a team that is as proven in the regular season as rock canning is to only 20 points is a whole lot uh now pooter did lose a lot from last year's squad and keeping themselves in the game is again is largely attributed to the efforts of this defense Uh, I asked uh, Griffiths about it a little bit after the game. This year, you actually did way better against Rock Cannon than you all did last year. I think it was like 44-7 to 7 last year. Yeah,
2: definitely.
1: And it felt like your name was getting called on the loudspeaker every other play. Yeah. And so you were the main contributor on defense. You had that sack. You got like 15, 16 tackles, felt <laughs> like... What were you looking in the Rock Canyon O line to be able to penetrate as well as you did? Because that's not an easy O line to
2: get past. No, it's not. You got a lot of people there. They're huge. So, honestly, our big like thing that we were doing this game was you know looking at the fullback. So you know I read my guard and all that, but the fullback was kind of our key guy because he would just lead us to the ball every single time, and you just had to trust that.
1: And obviously, offensively, it was a bit of a tough night. A lot of penalties. By both teams, but especially in situations where you were only a couple of plays away from the end zone, it felt like. And so what do you think you're going to do as a team to make sure that that doesn't happen again next week?
2: You know, I think we just need to keep ourselves, you know, hold each other accountable. Um, Just get, you know, our our minds right. I think uh, we need to come together as an offense more so. Just, you know, run through the plays a little more and make sure our steps are all good.
1: All right. And then uh, I think it's Castleview on the schedule next. They do have really good pieces, like Jordan Ochoa and Ryder Mm -hmm. Smith. So, and that was a bit of a trap game last year almost. Yeah. So when you're looking at that team with that quality of line, are you going to be going into a similar situation, or what are you thinking about when it comes to a team that wasn't that great last year?
2: You know, I think we're just going to kind of play how we did last year. You know, I don't think they're switching up as much stuff. I mean, probably, you know, focus more on Jordan and they other guy, but I think it'll be a good game.
1: Now, in terms of the offensive playmaker of the game, I'm going to go with Logan Chapman. Uh, it kind of felt like it took Pooter like a decent amount, amount into the game, to figure out exactly what was working on offense. And, I mean, obviously that's going to happen when you lose a couple of college-level guys to the graduation stage. And it felt like Logan Chapman stepped up when needed. It felt like a lot of the offensive success that opened up the run game for man's was through Chapman's handiwork. Uh, He felt like a fast car driving into the city and the opposing defense felt like a checkout girl. I know his last name is Chapman, not Chapman, but come on. You got to let me have a little bit of fun here. (laughs) Uh, And then we have uh, Colton Mills Younger. Who I chose as the playmaker of the game for the Pooter Impalas. Uh, I mean, Colton Mills Younger is a great player. He's got a couple of D two D two offers on the table, and he was the only one kicking tonight. As I mentioned earlier, I'll, I'll I'll put in his comments here in a moment. But his work there, and then also his contributions on the O line and on defense, I feel like the little breathing room that Pooter was able to get on offense is due to mills younger he was a large part of why pooter only allowed one offensive touchdown all night and let's hear what he had to say about that so tonight was a bit of a tough game for the team as a whole but you had yourself a damn good night especially on special teams like a 60 yard punt yeah (laughs) so how are you feeling moving forward and what and reflecting on tonight what is your main takeaway
3: um, well, looking back on last year, we got beat 44-7, to 7, something like that. And coming out this year, our defense literally worked their butt off and only allowed, allowed seven points because we hit the kicker, you know what I mean? But our offense needs to put in the work, so, yeah.
1: And when you're looking at your own personal development, making sure that you get the ball as far away from the end zone as humanly possible, what is your mental approach to kicking and punting?
3: Uh, you know, I just go out and have fun. Like, before this game even started, Coach Tonkin came up to me and goes, you're punting tonight because both of our other punters got hurt. So <laughs> so I just came out here, and I, I haven't punted since, I don't know, eighth, eighth or seventh
1: grade, and I just came out here and had fun with it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you might be in a little bit of a punter battle, as rare as yes. that is. So. All right, and uh, are you allowed to tell us anything about uh, how your college uh How Uh, college is looking for you? Yeah, most
3: definitely. Um, I have three offers right now to Shadron, Black Hill State, and Fort Lewis. But, yeah, I'm hoping for more. So, yeah, I'm just excited. This this is my senior year. I couldn't wait. I've been waiting for this. I thought it was a dream today. I wanted someone to flick me because I can't believe it's week one.
1: Thank you, as always, Colton. And now, moving on to the Rock Canyon section of tonight's game. We're going to start in the first quarter where Rock Canyon started this game on offense and Gavin Nera, excuse me if I'm mispronouncing that, pitched to Tyler Meyer for four yards. Meyer then ran for one and again for four more before David Brub, Brab, excuse me, punted. Uh, Will Rosenmeyer got a tackle and then Chaz Barnett did the same. Abraham Chitwood got a tackle followed by Austin Boker, before forcing an offsides penalty, uh, Rosenmeyer actually dropped the resulting punt, but an illegal procedure call ended up saving the Jaguars on that. Uh, on the repunt, Andrew Abner got a 15 yards, but a flag brought it back to where he caught it. Uh, Owen Arnold ran for five and then for four more. Nira passed to Logan Kenny for five and then Meyer for two. Uh, Nira then. Then uh, got it to Sam Cuthbert for 22 yards, and then to Boker for 11. Uh, So we're seeing Rock Canyon opening up the air game a lot more than in previous seasons. Uh, Meyer got it three yards, but after a couple of incompletions, uh, the new kicker, Jack Anderson, was called in to kick a 25-yard field goal attempt, which he nailed, putting Rock Canyon up 3-0 in the first quarter. Anderson's kickoff then went 60 yards which Rosenmeier got a tackle on Uh, Brady Campbell got a tackle and then Abe Chitwood caught an interception and returned it 32 yards for the touchdown this really broke the stalemate in the game and swung the momentum in the Jaguars favor after an unsportsman like conduct penalty had been assessed Jack Anderson hit the PAT putting Rock Canyon up 10 to 0 uh, Anderson's kickoff then went 65 yards, and Campbell got a tackle for loss on the next down. Uh, Barnett got a push out before an offsides penalty, and then Brandon Stout got a tackle to end the first quarter. To open the second frame of action, Campbell and Logan Miller got a tackle to open it, but that's most of what any—that's most of what happened before they were able to force a punt. Uh, the return of signal. The returner signaled a fair catch, but then got tackled, which advanced the line of scrimmage significantly on that penalty. Uh, Nira then threw to Lucas Lenzi for six yards before Arnold ran for six of his own. Uh, After a fumble, which was recovered by Arnold, uh, Nira threw to Reed Finch, uh, the tight end, I believe, for six yards, which helped allow Anderson to get in the right range to be able to punch in a field goal putting them up 13-0 to zero before the half. After another 50-yard kickoff, Lindsey got a stiff-arm tackle, which, which is weird to say. It was even weirder to see. But he just pushed that man's head down into the ground uh, before James Stevens got one of his own. Uh, Chitwood got another tackle before Boker and Barnett shared one themselves. Uh, after a group tackle, Barnett got a sack, which forced a timeout. Uh, Campbell tackled a runner out of bounds. Chitwood got a tackle. And then Rosenmeier got a pass deflection that forced a timeout with five seconds left in the half. Uh, Barnett got a pass deflection, and that was halftime with Rock Canyon up 13-0. to uh, Anderson, then uh, opening the third quarter, had another kickoff for a touchback. And after some really, really solid defense, Rock Canyon got the ball back again. Meyer ran for four, but after an illegal procedure call, it was first and 15. Meyer ran for five, and then three more, and then Nira threw to Cuthbert for seven. Meyer ran for three, and then Nira ended up uh, ended up getting a couple of first downs worth when he threw to Michael Thulin for 27 yards. Uh, Meyer ran for six, but after a holding call, it was first and goal from the 20. They allowed a sack, and then Neera threw to Cuthbert for five. Uh, they went for the field goal attempt but Anderson's kick was off. However, this was due to a flag that had been called due to roughing the kicker, so they got a fresh set of downs. Eventually, they got to the one-yard line where they got a false start penalty, then Meyer ran for three, and the team decided to go for it on fourth and three. After a penalty, Meyer ran it in to seal the deal for the Jags, and after the PAT, Rock Canyon was up 20-0. After a... Surprise, surprise. Touchback from Jack Anderson. Kai and Gracia got a tackle, and Evan Miles got a sack. But honestly, that was most of what happened for the rest of the game. Now The fourth quarter was uh, hard fought, but to be completely honest with you, it was a stalemate the entire time. Most of the action came from Pooter trying to fight back into the game, and the Rock Canyon defense doing what I just described to you for, for a few minutes, and shutting that down extremely Effectively, and uh, in order to go over that, uh, we're going to have to launch into our defensive playmakers of the game in Chaz Barnett and Abraham Chitwood. Yes, we have four <laughs> defensive playmakers of the game in this one. We won't have that very often, but my first thought when uh, Chaz Barnett walked up to me after the game, when I'd asked uh, one of the coaches to sign him over for for a quick interview was what in the hell are they feeding that boy i mean obviously he's a big fellow right he's listed he's listed at 65 250 but nothing can prepare you for when this fellow walks up and he's like, like i was the manager for manitou's basketball team when we have when my when my junior year we had uh a 610 starting center, a 68 power forward, a 66 small forward and a 6667 guy coming off the bench. And then both our varsity and JB coaches, the Vecchio, uh, the Vecchio uh, father and son, Brian and Ken. They're 68 and 69 respectively. And I just thought, damn, this fella's big. <laughs> and so his impact on the game is somehow even bigger than he is. And it's hard to tell that until you see him in person. And granted, he may not have had the best stats this game, but his impact was extremely palpable. And the brick wall of a man was hard to beat. He got a pass deflection. He got a sack. He got his fair fair share of tackles. He was just all over the field, it felt like. And he probably got a few hurries all on his own just because man saw him at a particular spot and he had to go the other direction. Otherwise, he knew he was going down. Here's what Barnett had to say about tonight's game. Chaz, you were absolutely dominant out there tonight. You were getting all types of pressure on the quarterback, getting all types of tackles, and making your presence known. So what I'm wondering is what holes were you seeing in the Pooter offense to be able to get to where you wanted to go? And then also, are you thinking about going anywhere for school? And if so, are you allowed to tell us where? Uh, I'm definitely thinking about playing in
3: college somewhere. I'm not really sure. It all depends on who offers me in these first three games, but... Uh, definitely in the pooter game i think it was just all about penetration a big thing this game was those edges and keeping it secure on those edges against that boot and i just think the big thing for the d-line was open up gaps for our linebackers to run in and get tackles
1: now Chaz barnett is probably a name that you have heard before but unless you've really had your ear to the ground in terms of colorado JV, this next name is going to come as a real surprise you've got Abraham Chitwood, or Abe Chitwood, as the other co-defensive playmaker of the game. He had 12 tackles as a cornerback, along with a pass deflection and a 32-yard pick-six in his first ever varsity game. Again, that's his first ever varsity action, and he gets 12 tackles along with a pick-six and a pass deflection. And that's really what split the game wide open. Here's what Chitwood had to say. What are you trying to do to make sure that the energy is feeling right when you're in those tough spots where it seems like Hooters marching up the field with like a uh, like hot knife through butter? Uh, to be honest,
3: I just keep my composure and talk to my teammates. Communications are our best thing, I think. And I just make sure everybody knows that they're doing a good job and just get on to the next play. Someone messes up, who cares, get to the next play, move on.
1: You know, and then we'll work as a team, so that's what I think. All right. And what was going through your mind when you got that pick six? Because that was pretty. Uh...
3: <laughs> I mean, I got a little excited. I mean, it's my first like varsity game ever, so you know I, I was excited. You know, I got the moment. You know, make sure I got the pick six. So, you know, I'm just happy about
1: it. All right, very good. And uh, and are you thinking about doing college anywhere, or is this just? Uh... I mean, if the opportunity comes around, I would definitely be open to it. Yeah. All right, very cool. Again, Abe, thank you. And that was a very, very good varsity debut uh somebody else that is uh that is getting some more playing time than they did last year we've got tyler meyer as the offensive playmaker of the game uh you can also give that over to uh over to his quarterback nira but i decided to give it to meyer because he had the only offensive touchdown in the game and has consistently made it really easy for rock canyon to open it up uh and that's a large part of why nira had enough space to throw uh the the threat of tyler meyer just bringing it down the middle for five six yards was a lot in terms of really opening it up for nira to be able to get his 90 yards uh here's what meyer had to say about his performance on that thursday night all right so you had the sole offensive touchdown of the game tonight and all around you had a lot of good production out there so When you're looking at a Booter defense that has guys like Evan Griffiths, Colton Mills-Younger, and Brody Van Cleave, what were you looking at when you were trying to find those specific holes? Because they were doing their best to keep it all close for you.
3: Yeah, the linebackers were flowing heavy, so we just had to do our best. O-line did a great job tonight of making those blocks. Just had to look for the cutbacks, the bounces, all that. And this uh, practice this week, we practiced a lot of that,
1: so definitely helped a lot. All right, very cool and uh are you thinking about playing anywhere for school or are you just uh... uh i'm a junior right now still got a little
3: bit of time to worry about that stuff but definitely am looking to play some college football
1: All right. thank you very much tyler and if you are a college coach looking for a good speedy running back i do recommend taking a look at tyler meyer out of rock canyon he, he's a pretty solid uh, pretty solid dude and then finally, we have the playmaker of the game. This is probably the first game where both playmakers of the game are on here because of their contributions on special teams. We have Rock Canyon's new kicker, Jack Anderson, uh, in his varsity debut as well. Filling the shoes of Breck Sanger, uh, Anderson ended up scoring eight of Rock Canyon's 20 points in this game, which is more than anybody else. Uh, Both Chitwood and Meyer only scored six. His leg gave Rock Canyon a bunch of breathing room in crucial situations where the game's momentum may have swayed otherwise. He went two for two on PATs and also went two for two on field goal attempts. Here is Anderson with comments on his first ever varsity football game. When we're talking about today's game, this was your high school football debut, I'm told. So, And you had some big shoes to fill uh, from Breck Sanger, but you, you stepped up and you got a few good kicks in. So how, how did you – what was your introduction to potentially joining the team, and how do you feel tonight went for you?
3: Man, yeah. Um, used to play soccer, and coming into the new sport, playing a position I've never played before with a brand-new team for my senior year is something that not many people do, but, you know, I came in here and I just – in today's game, you know, the nerves are there, but when you step on the field, you can't have those nerves, and playing this game today with these guys and stepping on the field for football,
1: it's something that I'm going to enjoy the rest of the season with these guys, and being a senior and leading this team, I can't wait for the rest of the season. All right. Thank you very much, and uh, are you thinking about potentially playing in college? Because a lot of a lot of mm-hmm. schools would want to look at your leg. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah. I'd love to play in college, you know. Um, trying to talk to some schools right now. Um, you know, I've always been a sports guy. I've always loved sports since I was three years old. So considering this is what I'm doing now, uh, something that I love and I'd
3: love to pursue in college. And, you know, I have people tell me that sports in college are some of the best times of your life, So that's something that I'd like to pursue and do myself. So.
1: Well, thank you very much. And uh, best of luck to you as well on your college searches, Jack. Uh, I know that uh, recruiting can be a difficult, uh, a very difficult thing to pull off, but I have confidence that you'll be able to find a good home. So in summary... If I'm being 100% honest, this game was the slowest two-hour game I ever bent to. Uh, it felt like there was penalty every other minute from both sides, and scoring was extremely rare. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised, though, really, by how well most of the newcomers did, and I feel good about how the season's going to go for both of these teams. Um, I was very, very worried about Pooter because like losing Quentin Harms, losing Jordan Neeson, Jones Thomas, uh, Logan Carell, you're losing a lot of really high value guys. Sage Cameron. Um, and so that, that's a lot of guys that you don't feel comfortable with losing. And I feel like for the guys that they have stepping up to fill those shoes, they do need more of an adjustment period but I think like like with Mans uh, Matt Mans he I, I feel like he does fit much more of a run heavy offense. Um, but I think that with some more feeling out he'll be solid. Um, I am a bit confused as to why Colton Mills Younger, who in my in my personal opinion is one of the best tight ends in the state, I, I'm a bit confused why they didn't target him more. Uh, they did throw uh, I believe three passes his way in the fourth. But they only targeted him once in the first half uh, that I remember, at least. Uh, but I, I feel like with a couple more weeks of, of uh, Mer- with a couple more weeks experience, I do feel like this team could eventually become like a 20 to 24 seed. Which, I mean, it doesn't sound like much of a compliment, I know, but compared to what I thought they would be, uh, I, I know this is a bit of a rebuild year. This is a transitional period. I think that like they could potentially even pull off an upset like Rocky Mountain did last season. And it feels like they're on the precipice of figuring it out. So I feel good saying that there is much more to see from this Pooter team. And I am also really gladly surprised that Rock Canyon is opening up their offense. Uh, I, I know that in the past we have talked a lot on this podcast about the rock can- what, what we saw from rock canyon last year which was uh, run it into the ground and it feels like they have a quarterback that they can trust now and i still have reservations about their system if i'm being completely honest but it feels more now like they're making the system their own and making it successful uh if this experiment continues to work out for them on this level I could see this being a season that stretches late into November for the Jaguars if you catch my drift. Um, Again, that's if all the chips fall right, but that's not something we could say about Rock Canyon for a long, long time. Uh, Next week, Rock Canyon will face Lee Scott Jr.'s Smoky Hill at home, which should be pretty exciting. Uh, Meanwhile, Pooter will be heading down to Castle Rock. That's a long drive to face. Jordan Ochoa and Ryder Smith's Castleview Sabercats. All around, those should be good games. Uh, This week was... uh, I mean, it was fun to watch. Don't get me wrong. And it's always good to go out there, see the PMC fam, uh, Colton, Brody, uh, meeting new guys like Evan and uh, and, uh, Tyler, but... Hey, we'll, we'll be keeping an eye on you guys as the season goes on. And yeah, best of luck to everybody involved. All around good game. And uh, hopefully we'll see you down the line. Peace.
5: Okay, let's go ahead and talk Cherry Creek versus Ralston Valley here. A week one matchup that myself, Cody, and Gino were at here. Uh, Cherry Creek being ranked number one according to our preseason rankings. Ralston Valley being at... Number or tied for number two according to our preseason rankings, and also coming off a good win over Mountain Vista in week zero. So let's go ahead and start it off here. To start, Logan Madden starts on offense here, and he would go ahead and find Jackson Hansen on the screen that goes for a first down on about 10 yards there. But let's go ahead and fast forward, it is third and 12 here. After some tough plays and Madden tries to scramble around but is taken down by number 40 Jake Howell who stops him pretty short here about fourth and ten-ish. And so they punt it with about 10 minutes left here. Now Cherry Creek would go ahead and start on the 34 and would give the ball to Jordan Heron for a steady dose. He would eventually get them a first down here. Following that Uh, Let's go ahead and fast forward to this 3rd-and-3 situation. They hand it off to Jordan Heron, who once again makes a couple people miss before reversing fields for a 30-ish yard touchdown to make it 7-0 at 6.59 left. An electrifying play by Jordan Heron to go ahead and get this thing started as they really leaned on him early on in this game here. Ralston Valley will get the ball back on the touchback here, but a couple tough run plays that really went nowhere if not for loss. And a penalty here for delay of game would put them in a 3rd and 15 situation with Angelo Petridis just putting them in a tough spot in the previous play thanks to stopping Brady Weldon. And so on 3rd and 15 Madden tries to scramble right here taking what's there and gets about minimal yardage once more. It is 4th and 12 here but Ralston Valley is close enough to kick it. They're from I think they're kicking from around the 25 so this is about a 35-ish yard field goal and so... They kick it and it is good. Creek still leads 7-3 at the 4 minute 19 second mark here. Now, Cherry Creek would get the ball here and would get a nice first down thanks to Brady Vodica finding number 19 of Cherry Creek. That is Dawson Johnson, their tight end. But, a play would go wrong here Vodka tries to throw the screen route but it is behind his receiver and so it hits the ground and it is considered a fumble and so number 25 of Ralston Valley that is Kyle Phipps picks this ball up and returns it 50 yards about 50 yards to the house making it a 9-7 to game here a bad snap on the PAT would make that no good and so Ralston would only clean to this 9-7 game at the same time it is worth noting that one of the big time linemen for Chair Creek AJ Burden is currently out uh, for this game, and I believe would be out for the rest of the game, which does matter. Now, Cherry Creek would get something going here. Um, they would find themselves in kind of a tough 3rd and thirteen situation, but Brady Vodica would do a quick check down pass to Cortland Johnson. That's number 5, but there is a penalty that would happen on that play that would be thrown against Austin Valley, and so that would actually be an automatic first down here. And so that would basically end the action in the first quarter. Let's go to the second quarter where they are in the red zone, second and nine on the 23 here. Vodka finds Jordan Heron on the curl who goes ahead and gets the first down. Now they're on the 15. Following that, there's a couple handoffs, mostly to Jaden Fox. He makes it third and four. Then they go ahead and try to throw the toss to Fox here, who gets flipped over by number 25. I believe that's Kyle Phipps, but that is still good for a first down. Now on the six-yard line. Following that, Vodka rolls out left, who then throws a quick uh, out route, to number 6 Max Love at the transfer from Pomona who goes ahead and scores retaking the lead for Creek making it 13 to 9 here PAT would actually make it 14 to 9 with 10 34 left a good play here by Brady Vodica and the offense now Ralston Valley they would take over on the 20 trying to get something going, and so that's exactly what Logan Maddow dials up. He goes deep down the left sideline, finding number two Jackson Hansen for a huge gain of about 40, uh, and so now they're on the 40 yard line it looks here. Following that, they would go ahead and run the ball, which would pretty much not go anywhere, but it is worth noting that Liam Beattie would actually get hurt on that play and would not return for the rest of the game, which would end up being a game changer for Ralston Valley. Fast forward a down here, it is 3rd and 4 after a Ralston Valley timeout. They throw the out route to number 2 Hanson, who gets a good gain for the first down. Fast forward a couple more plays here, it's 2nd and 7, Logan Madden drops back, but is sacked by number 95 of Cherry Creek, that is Jack Francis here, who goes ahead and makes it a tough 3rd and 15. Once again on 3rd down, Madden is flushed out the pocket, but finds number 10, of uh ralston valley i believe that is wyatt moorwood who would go ahead and get them a solid gain but not a first down it would actually still be fourth and six here they would trot out their offense looking to go for it but then would call a timeout and then once more try out their offense again, looking to go for it here on the other side of the field. Madden on fourth down evades the pressure and throws it, almost throws a pick here, but it is dropped and is a turnover on downs regardless. Now, Cherry Creek would get the ball and would begin marching down the field. Would actually get a couple first downs to get to about midfield here, but that is when Peyton Nobel of Ralston Valley will get a huge sack on. Brady Vodica making it a tough 3rd and 22 situation. Uh, they will try to throw a short route here which would only go for 10 Making it 4th and 13. Uh, thanks to a, a nice tackle by George Patterson. And so Creek would eventually punt it. But it would be a pretty bad punt as Ralston Valley basically takes over on the 30. But once more they are not able to get anything going here. And so it is about 14-9 to nine here going into the second half in the third quarter like I said Liam Beattie at this point is out for Austin Valley and I believe Burden would be out for Cherry Creek I don't think he would come back I could be mistaken though but Cherry Creek, they would get the ball, looking to make a statement here. And on second and eight, Brady Vodica would go deep down the right sideline, finding Maxwell Lovett, who burns the defense for a huge 50-yard touchdown here. Just breaking loose, making it 20-9. to PAT actually making it 21-9 to here. Now, Ralston Valley, the struggles continue on offense. A couple penalties here. Um, well, one penalty throw on Creek, sorry. And then some other things going on on third and six Madden would find Jack Wagner wide open on the post and it would be on the money, but it is dropped. That is a, at least a 20 plus 30 plus yard gain, if not a touchdown. So that's definitely tough there. Eventually they would try to punt it but the snap would be way too low or sorry, way too high. Uh, Ralston Valley would recover it, but Creek would basically start on the other side on the 25 with a very short field to work with. And with a short field, you know what Cherry Creek's going to do. Brady Vodka on, I want to say it's first or second down, rolls right and finds number 19 is tight in Dawson Johnson, who almost scores here, but is stopped on the one Couple plays later, it is third and one. Vodka just hands it off to Jaden Fox, who gets the job done, making it 27 to nine, 28 to nine, with the PAT. As this game begins to get away from Ralston Valley. Now Valley, they try to climb back into this one on third and 16. Madden keeps the play alive and finds the number nine. That is Laird Jones for a big 46-yard play here. Just a great job by Logan Madden escaping the pressure and then finding an open receiver. But eventually, it would come down to third down once more. Madden is under pressure as this pass rush. Uh, continues to pick up here and he throws it it was definitely a forced ball here and so this one's pretty pretty much easily intercepted excuse me by number 27 of Ralston Valley that is Dwight Johnson giving Cherry Creek the ball back. That would basically be the end of this game here. Rawston Valley would get the ball back. And Logan Madden trying to do his best here. Would we'll throw deep. But it is intercepted by number one, Alicio Martinez. Then eventually, Brady Vodka would go ahead and run in a touchdown with about 650. Making it 35-9. to And there you go there. That is your final score. Cherry Creek, the defending state champions, coming out on top. 35-9. to uh, Taking a little bit of time getting going. But once they were going, this offense showed that they had a lot of firepower here and then this defense just picking up from where they left off Um, maybe this is something that Cody Stoffer actually said maybe not as talented up front as last year but you could tell they are throwing a lot more different looks at Ralston Valley you know schematically on defense and so it was very tough for this Ralston Valley team to go ahead and stop plus when you lose a speedster like Liam Beattie that obviously hurts a ton as well along with some missed opportunities and so So, Cherry Creek starts 1-0, Ralston Valley here at 1-1. This is definitely a game that will be important when it comes to seeding and playoff implications down the line. Okay, now let's go ahead and talk about 5A here. Recap both Week 0 and Week 1. We are going to start in Week 0 here for 5A here. Uh, Not too many games. There's that Ralston Valley versus Mountain Vista game, which, you know, I talked about more. In-depth here. Logan Madden in that game. 16 of 25 for 218 yards. One touchdown, one pick. Brady Weldon with 86 yards. Liam Beattie, five receptions, uh, 103 yards and a touchdown. Jackson Hansen, six receptions, 91 yards and a touchdown. Jack Wagner with five tackles, two interceptions. That's good enough for Playmaker of the Week considerations, which we'll be doing for Week 0 and Week 1 separately. And then on defense here for rally, um five sacks. From Lair Jones, Kit LeBlanc, Tyrese Johnson, who had two, and Jake Huffman, plus eight total harries here from this defense, with four of them being from George Patterson, four Mountain Vista, Austin Madreski, 23 of 39, 238 yards, no touchdowns, two picks, Jack Blaze, 10 rushes, 40 yards, Dupree Jennings, their lead receiver, six receptions, 56 yards, and Carter Daniels on defense leading the way for them, eight tackles, two tackles for loss, two pass deflections, and one Blocked field goal as Ralston Valley wins that 1-13-7. Now, Chatfield would play a Week 0 game against out-of-state Taylorsville from Utah. This wasn't a very good Utah team, and so really just felt like a game for them to tune up here. No Brock Narv in this game, but Chatfield takes care of business 43-0. Jake Jones, 5 of 8 for 90 yards, two touchdowns, and one pick. Also had 10 yards and one rushing touchdown. Corey Ball played really well here 10 rushes, 72 yards, and a touchdown. Chris Fortune with 36 rushing yards. Uh, Drew Rollman was their lead receiver, two receptions for 55 yards and two touchdowns. Then on defense, you have Avery DeWeese with seven tackles and a tackle for loss. Reed Narva with a pick. And then you also had Dagan Meyer with a 69 yard punt return for a touchdown as Chatfield wins big. 43 to 0 to start the regular season. Now on this day Yosa Denver East versus Westminster Denver East goes ahead, takes care of business 55 to 19 no stats for East but for westminster mason Kiewit, 11 of 22 163 yards three touchdowns one pick also had 30 carries for 60 yards uh, elias garcia had four receptions for 85 yards and two touchdowns but obviously was not enough as denver east took care of business like i said 55 to 19 then we have boulder versus monarch boulder playing for a monarch and monarch wins here despite losing their quarterback 22 to 7 no Stats by Boulder, but not a great start as they start 0-1. Now let's get go ahead and get into the Week 1 action here. Starting on Thursday, August 24th, we have Legend versus Vista Ridge here. Vista Ridge of 4A school playing 5A Legend in Parker here, and Legend hammers them. 42-7, Michael Marcinich in his debut as a sophomore quarterback. 7-8 seven, seven of eight for 142 yards and 2 touchdowns. Jaden Lawrence doing his thing as well. Only seven carries for 59 yards and a touchdown, plus three receptions, 51 yards, and a touchdown. Jeff Baca, their lead receiver, with two receptions, 53 yards. you also had three sacks from this legend defense from Bettendorf. Uh nidri I want to say, is... Nijring Haas, I want to say, and Saez, plus two interceptions from Garen Edwards and Brody Schuss. there as legend takes care of business against Vista Ridge. Actually, their defense playing really well, not allowing Vista Ridge to get past the 50-yard line and only limiting them to one first down in that entire first half there. And then they would get hit by a lightning delay, but by then, that game was basically over as they were up 35-0. Then we have Grandview versus Overland. Grandview taking care of business 48-6. Liam Zarka in his final year, 11-14 for 201 yards and two touchdowns. Chris Banks, the sophomore running back, ran seven times 400 yards and a touchdown. Donovan Vernon got in there as well. Eight rushes, 83 yards for Overland. Definitely some struggles without their quarterback Andre Ward here, or or, sorry, Andre Weasley here, but Jarius Ward would do his thing on 19 carries, going for 116 yards, Jimenez Solis and Taliyosi was Fisher, both taking snaps at quarterback, but obviously not finding too much success, once more Grandview wins that one 48-6. Then we got Fossil Ridge versus Loveland, another 5A versus 4A matchup. Fossil Ridge playing 4A Loveland here, and Fossil Ridge loses a close one here, 28-26. Colton Pollock ran for 77 yards to a touchdown. New starting quarterback Nick Kubat went 8 of 11 for 100 yards and the touchdown, and then Marcus Moser had a special teams touchdown there, but that was not enough to beat 4A Loveland. Then we had Denver East versus Smoky Hill East. Winning 36-0, moving to 2-0 at the start of the season. Landon Holloway with 13 tackles, 3 tackles for loss, leading them. This defense also had 6 total sackles, 2 of them from DJ Crow. Now, Boulder would once more place in Taurus here, another 4-8 team. And would lose this time worse, 35-7, dropping to 0-2. Uh, Mountain Range versus Greeley West, no stats from here, Mountain Range beats West 9-0, Lakewood would play for a Bear Creek, and they would lose to them, 46-13, 100 yards rushing from Julian Garcia though, let's go ahead and move on to Friday, August 25th, the game from there, Doherty versus Castleview, Castleview winning big, 38-3, junior quarterback Derek Gordon really showed out here, 17-19 of 19 for 149 yards and two touchdowns, extremely efficient, Senior running back Ethan Gonzalez, 73 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Sam Harry, lead receiver, four receptions, 62 yards and a touchdown. The defense for Castleview combined for seven and a half sacks with Logan Weir and Jackson Brenner each having two sacks. And then you also had Daryl Ishman who had two interceptions as Castleview starts the season off great here with a huge win over Doherty to go 0-1. Then we got Thunder Ridge versus Arvada West here. Arvada West hammers Thunder Ridge 30-3. Adrian Samala, 22 carries, 155 yards, three touchdowns. Jaden Green adds out another 124 yards. Three interceptions by this defense from Jaden Nichols, Atticus Tillman, and Grant Drochar, I want to say, as well as Jackson Pyatt leading this Arvada West team with eight tackles here. Thunder Ridge not being able to score, but a huge win for Arvada West, who... Uh, weirdly enough weren't able to throw the ball as well their starting quarterback did struggle a little bit but you know when your offense runs for 200 plus yards can't complain about that so there you go then we have westminster versus far northeast a thriller here in week one where westminster wins 50 to 48 thanks to a last second touchdown i believe it was thrown with 29 seconds left from quarterback Mason Kiewit, uh, who, by the way, unofficially, that is, with stats, won 17 of 24, 321 yards, five passing touchdowns, eight 182 rushing yards, excuse me, and two rushing touchdowns, including that game winner that would give Westminster the dub over Far Northeast there. Far Northeast doing what they can, Russell Patton, he rushed for 251 yards, two touchdowns. Kenchise Ray had 12 carries for 126 yards and three touchdowns, but that was not enough to beat Westminster. Moving on, we have Horizon versus Douglas County. Douglas County taking care of business, 28-14, to 14, behind Jake Stonebreakers, 188 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Chatfield versus Cherokee Trail, another big-time thriller here. Uh, Chatfield would actually win this one 27 to 24 here. Here is what would happen. Or here, let me talk about the stats, and then I'll talk about what happened here. Jake Jones, 16 of 37, uh, one touchdown to two picks. Brock Narva, 135 rushing yards, two touchdowns. Michael Lumpkin, lead receiver, three receptions, 80 yards, one touchdown. The defense would actually force three fumbles, including two of them being recovered by Nate Helms and Cody Wittig. And then the big thing for chat field here was that Andrew Aston their kicker went 2 three from the field here including a huge 35-yard field goal at the end of the third that would mean the difference between a win and a loss that would have made it 27 to 24 and then Chatfield would actually recover one of those fumbles with about five minutes left that would have killed a very promising drive by Cherokee Trail Uh, Cherokee Trail they would actually start a new quarterback compared to last year where they rolled with Elliott Ming this time they had Tyson Smith a Jr. as well and in his first start he did well going 16 of 23 for 250 yards two touchdowns only one pick Peyton Summers his receiver seven receptions 137 yards and a touchdown but falling just short to Chatfield here as Chatfield moves to 2-0 while Cherokee Trail drops to 0-1 then we got Fairview versus Highlands Ranch This was a pretty easy win for Fairview, 44-3. Jordan Rochelle, 9 carries for 125 rushing yards, 2 touchdowns, 5 receptions for 98 yards, and a receiving touchdown. This defense also had 3 interceptions from Cole Mathis, Jace Hines, and Wyatt Keegan, all grabbing one as they take care of business to start 1-0. Then we have Ralston Valley versus Cherry Creek. This was a game that I recapped here as well, but just to talk about some stats here. Cherry Creek has no stats in, so I'll just read off Ralston Valleys. Logan Madden, 11 of 21, 200 yards, no touchdowns, two picks. Uh, Their lead rusher was Brady Wonan with 17 yards here. Their lead receiver was Jackson Hansen, six receptions for 90 yards as they lost a tough one to Cherry Creek. So there you go there moving on here we have columbine versus mullen no stats put in yet but columbine as expected took care of business versus mullen here winning big 56 to 6. Then we have Arapaho versus Legacy. This was a huge game as Arapaho, with a huge upset 31 9 over Legacy, they would amass a 17 0 lead at halftime with one passing touchdown, one rushing touchdown, and a field goal all hit while, you know, obviously holding down Legacy to a mere zero points. Another passing touchdown with 11 minutes left in the third would make it 24 0 as this Arapaho defense played extremely well. Will Knox with 11 tackles for them now for Legacy they just struggled Cullen Larmus 16 of 32 completing half his passes for 114 yards one pick only at 46 rushing yards Tyler Anderson 13 carries for 75 yards and a touchdown very disappointing start to the season for Legacy but still a long one ahead if you're a Rappo you got to feel good about this one punching up and taking out a team that at least we had ranked in front of them so there you go there and gaining some confidence as well now, talking Eagle Crest versus Bryden, this was a pretty easy 37 to 14 win for Eagle Crest. Joe Steiner, the junior quarterback, got the start here, went 14 of 17 for 162 yards and a touchdown. Also had 37 rushing yards. Then Logan Ryan, uh, his lead receiver as a senior, six receptions, 97 yards. As like I said, they beat Bryden 37 to 14. Fountain for Carson would then play for a Falcon, where they took care of business, winning 49 to 18. It was 35 12 at half matthias price at running back 191 rushing yards two rushing touchdowns including a 41 yard receiving touchdown you also have terrence morris he only had three carries it says here but he went for 121 yards and three touchdowns so there you go there fort collins would play a 4a team in ponderosa but it would go the opposite way fort collins losing 56 to 21 Pondo, throwing for a combined 406 yards and 6 touchdowns on them, as that is tough for them. Mountain Vista playing another forward team in Heritage, uh, just barely avoiding the upset. 35-34 in a win here, with about 3 minutes left in the 3rd. A Jack Blaze rushing touchdown will make it 35-28. This would stay the case until about... I want to say the last minute here in the fourth quarter where Kurt Rossner for Heritage would throw a 13-yard touchdown pass, making it 35-34, to but Heritage would go for two instead of taking the PAT, and Mountain Vista's defense would come up with a big stop and win 35-34. Austin Madreski, 17 of 29 for three touchdowns. Jack Blaze, 70 rushing yards, one touchdown, three receptions, 67 receiving yards, two touchdowns. That's obviously good for Playmaker of the Week considerations. Japre Jennings for a second straight week leads all receivers with four receptions, 68 yards. Carter Daniels with 15 tackles, two tackles for loss, a sack, and a forced fumble as Mountain Vista avoids 0-2 and goes 1-1. North Glen would play for a Adams City where they would win 42-0. Prairie View would play for a Silver Creek. Where they would win a close one 43 to 35. Uh, I'm not sure about this, but I heard the quarterback Kunio Yoshima he threw for 350 yards and four touchdowns, something like that. And then Pomona versus Thomas Jefferson. Pomona did not stand a chance, they lost 19 to 6. Moving on to the Saturday slate of games from August 26th Rocky Mountain versus Chaparral. Rocky Mountain winning a thriller 20 to 16. Rocky was down 16 to 6, but battled back. Scoring their last touchdown with a minute 30 seconds left in the fourth. Then Dylan Green of Rocky Mountain will get an interception that would save that game. For Chaparral, uh, Nolan Seagal, 92 rushing yards, a touchdown. Also 86 receiving yards and a touchdown. While Tevin Stokes kind of struggled here. 7 of 23, 151 yards, one touchdown to two picks including the one at the end of the game there. Then last but not least, we have Valor Christian versus Regis Jesuit. I apologize. I was not able to make this one. I've been feeling a little under the weather. Maybe you've been able to hear my voice here. But here's basically what happened at half. It was a close game, 14-13. I believe Regis had the lead. But Regis would go ahead and take a 21-13 lead at the end of the fourth here. Valor would tie it with about eight minutes left in the fourth. But then Regis Jesuit would hit a field goal with 541 left in the fourth making it 24 to 21 and would hold on to win as valor christian would not be able to get it done here regis jesuit winning in the regular season for the second straight year in a row here uh anthony medina for regis jesuit had about 150 plus yards three rushing touchdowns for valor christian asher weiner 20 of 34 264 yards one touchdown two picks 45 rushing yards and a touchdown. Gabe Sawchuck got the ball a lot here. 17 rushes, 56 yards, 5 receptions, 93 yards. Uh, Receiving yards, that is. And then Cash Spence, their lead receiver, with 7 receptions, 71 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Anthony Medina being a playmaker of the week candidate as well. So, there you go there. That is the recap from Weeks 1 and 0 for 5A. Okay, we got the power rankings here for post week one here technically or week one power rankings. We're going to start with 1A, go all the way up to 5A here. But before I do that, let me talk about our process. So there are four people here on the podcast, myself, Cody. Gideon and Gino, we each personally rank each team 1 through 10 here, not the same amount of teams, but uh, for each classification, we have our own little 1 through 10 there, and then if you are ranked at number 1, then you get 10 points, 2, 9 points, 3, 8 points, so on and so on the teams with the most points from all four of us collectively get ranked the highest and so forth and so forth so that is how that works here now for this i am going to talk about uh some notes that cody put down that he wanted me to say and then i am going to mention some things that gino made note of as he was doing his rankings but basically our pmc rankings are well they're the average of our four here okay so not one person controls so much of the rankings there all right, now let's go ahead and hop into 1A here. Uh, just for y'all to remember, our preseason rankings in 1A went Lyman at 1, Strasburg 2, Holyoke 3, Ray 4, Centauri 5, Banning-Lewis Academy 6, Meeker 7, Rye 8, Estes Park 9, North Fork 10, with Gunnison, Colorado Springs Christian, Highland, and Manuel getting top 10 votes from uh, one of us four as well. Now, after Week 0 and Week 1, here is what we have now. At number 1, Lyman still stands. At number 2, we have a new face, Holyoke. 3, Ray. 4, Banning Lewis Academy. 5, Strasburg. 6, Meeker. 7, Rye. 8, Buena Vista. 9, Gunnison. 10, Centauri. And then just that with votes from, um, you know, in the top 10 here, North Fork, Manuel, and Yuma here. Yuma just being 2 points out the top 10. Now, let me start with Cody's top ten here. Uh starting with Centauri, who he ranked at a he said an upset loss to a 2 a team in Pagosa Springs isn't the worst, but it's not the most encouraging look here. Uh Centauri for us dropped five spots in our PMC rankings. So obviously definitely tough. As uh I believe Gino also dropped them outside his top 10 as well and then myself and Gideon did the same so tough go there for Centauri who landed at 10 at 9 is Gunnison for us Cody would personally put them at 10 he said also 2-0 and beating a solid Aspen squad along with losses ahead of them uh Speaks Gunnison or squeaks Gunnison in here excuse me so there you go there Gunnison would move up it looks like two spots from being just out to inside the top 10 for us then we have Buena Vista at eight Cody put them at nine he said the strength of opponent is not overwhelming but a score margin of 63 to zero over two games with multiple playmakers over two weeks here is huge so there you go there Buena Vista um, making the top 10 for the first time this season. Following that, Rye for us is at 7. They didn't play today, but a lot of teams lost, so that's why they were able to move up a spot. Meeker was also able to move up a spot here at 6 here. Cody did say a huge one-point win over North Fork moves uh, the Cowboys up a spot here, which is true in our PMC rankings. Strasburg takes a pretty pretty steep fall here. Down three spots now to number five in our PMC rankings. Cody actually put Strasburg at four. He said not going to punish them too hard with a loss on the road to start the season. But if other teams beat other impressive teams, they could slide. So we'll just have to see about Strasburg, who is currently at number five after a tough blowout loss to Holyoke. Banning Lewis Academy for us would actually move up to the fourth spot, which is two more spots than before in the preseason. Cody said a nice 50 burger with everything clicking in week one is great to move up a couple, combined with a couple other teams losing. I think that also moves Banning Lewis into this spot. Ray technically moves up one spot here. They took care of Highland with a 40 point win, Cody says. Holyoke uh, Cody was actually able to go to this game Holyoke is now at two moving up a spot Cody says huge win over Strasburg where they suffocated receivers and made big plays on both sides of the ball so there you go there Holyoke at two then Lyman still at one they rolled over Florence still really hasn't been tested I mean it's week one so there you go there a couple changes here in 1a to start the season Okay, moving on here. Let's go to 2A here. Our preseason rankings for 2A went number 10 was a three way tie between La Hunta, Inglewood, and Florence. Number 9, Basalt. Number 8, Montezuma Cortez. 7, Alamosa. 6, Rifle. Tied for 4th was University and Berthoud. 3, Elizabeth. 2, Eden. 1, Delta. Now, after week 1 and 0, here's how those rankings look. At number 10, Montezuma Cortez. Number 9, TCA, coming up from being unranked. At 8, La Junta. 7, University. 6, Basalt. 5, Eden. 4, Rifle. 3, Bertha. 2, Elizabeth. And number 1, Delta. Uh, Let's go ahead and start with Cody's notes here. So, at number 10 was Montezuma Cortez, who he actually didn't rank at all. Um, It was myself and... Gino who would rate Montezuma Cortez Gideon had them just outside here they would lose an out of state game so that wasn't the best look but for now we just need to see how they do against Colorado talent. so for now they are sitting at that 10 spot here oh and also by the way just that was Bogosa Springs, Alamosa and Englewood who got votes as well so there you go there this was a close one here moving on we have TCA now at 9 moving up from unranked uh Cody actually had TCA at 6 he said after an upset win on the road the titan slingshot into the top 10 i also want to say that gino would put TCA at 7 i want to say or sorry that would be 8 as well uh gideon would shoot up TCA all the way to 3 so there you go there i would not have TCA ranked yet um but you know i have my reasons for that so there you go tca at nine moving up from being unranked then we have la Hunta at eight previously at 10 the week before now they move up two spots this is what cody had to say about la Hunta. it was a burling it was burlington but a 40 point shutout against a playoff team in 1a will award a top 10 spot in addition Gino put a Hunta at nine Gideon put them at 10 and I move them up to six here. So there you go there as they are looking to start the season off a little bit differently. Uh, Now, on to seven here after week one, we have University, who drops three spots after a tough loss to Delta, which, frankly, wasn't as close as the scoreboard shown here. This is what Cody has to say about University, who he actually put a nine, uh, much lower than what we had them ranked. But he said University had a real chance to make a statement here at home, but will improve from this and be a tough out going forward. Definitely agreed there. But everyone else, including myself, would drop University significantly. I dropped them down to five here. Gideon would drop them down to eight. And then I, I think Gino would drop them to seven. And Cody, like I said, put them to nine. So University dropping after a tough loss to Delta, which wasn't that close. Basalt, on the other hand, would move up in their place, moving up three spots compared to last week. This is what Cody had to say about that. He said Basalt has come out the gate really strong and showing dominance on both sides of the football. As they did play two games, week one and week zero. So now they are 2-0 here. And so they move up pretty much for everyone. Uh, so there you go. Then we have Eden here at five. They are now down three spots. They were previously ranked at number two. Now they're at five here. This is what Cody has to say about Eden. He puts them at seven. And he says, while I'm not going to hit the panic alarm, it was alarming seeing Eden lose a game at home to start the season. We will see how this young group bounces back. So, there you go there. Gideon will drop Eden to 4. Gino will drop Eden, it looks like, to 6. And then Cody dropped them the farthest here down to 7. But for now, in our PMC rankings, they're at 5.0. At four is Rifle, they did not have a game, so there you go, but with a couple teams losing, they definitely move up here, so there you go there. At three, you have Berthoud, which got a big win over Timnith. And by the way, they get their quarterback, Darren Davidson, from two years ago, who I was very high on. I liked his promises. And so coming back to Berthoud will be a huge boost for them as they make a state championship push. This is what Cody has to say about Berthoud, who he put up for. He said a solid win against an opponent that is inferior is a good way to start the season. But we'll see how they look against others first. So there you go. They're at three. Cody put them at four. I believe the rest of us moved up birthed as other teams lost. So there you go. At number two now is Elizabeth. This is what Cody had to say about them, who he had it to. He said, not a dominant win. Or a nice start, a nice dominant win to establish how Elizabeth plans to handle business moving forward as they did blow out Devlin. And then I believe actually three out of the four of us put Elizabeth at number two. I was the lone exception, putting them at three. I would put Berthid at two instead. And then unanimously, uh, we all had Delta at number one, especially after a good win over University. So, boom, those are your two-way power rankings. Okay, moving on to three A here. Let's start with our preseason rankings. Just out slash uh, got votes for our top ten. Here was Pablo Central, Northfield, and Frederick. Then at ten officially was George Washington. Nine Conifer, uh, who was tied with Severance here, actually at eight. Then we had Durango. Following that at seven, Thompson Valley at six, Res Resurrection Christian at five, Holy Family at four, Green Mountain at three, Roosevelt at two, and Lutheran at one. Now, after week one, here are the teams that are just out. We have a couple here. Pueblo Central, Conifer, Glenwood Springs, and Pueblo County all got votes in our top 10. But here at our top 10, after week one, we have Durango dropping down a couple of spots after their out-of-state loss here at 10. Tied for eight still is George Washington and Severance here. Uh, following that, Northfield is at 7 Then we have Thompson Valley at 6, Resurrection Christian at 5, Holy Family at 4, Green Mountain at 3, Roosevelt at 2, and Lutheran stays at 1 here. Not much changes here. 1 through 6 pretty much stays the same. That's Lutheran, Roosevelt, Green Mountain, Holy Family, Resurrection Christian, and Thompson Valley not- moving up or down severance technically stays the same tied here at eighth here but you do see g-dub george washington move up a couple northfield moving up from being unranked uh, at least in our top 10 and then durango dropping a couple spots let's go ahead and see what cody has to say here um let's start with durango who's now at 10 he said after blowing out farmington just a year ago the demons lose this out of state game this season and look shaky doing it At number 9, he would then put Severance, who is tied for 8th in our rankings. He said, got to feel good for being able to pull out the win, but the defense allowing Canyon City to score this many points comes off as a red flag. So there you go there. Then he would put Conifer at 8, who's not ranked in our top 10, but this is what he said. They won on a solid defensive performance and a balanced offensive approach. And then he would put Northfield at 7. He said, they've been dominant for two weeks, playing week 1 and 0. And are a scary trending team right now, which absolutely agreed. But for the most part, the majority of these rankings in 3A stays the same. Okay, now let's go ahead and move on to 4A here. In the preseason, there are three teams that were just out. Windsor, Longmont, and Bear Creek are receiving top 10 votes. But our official top 10, at least for the podcast, was number 10, Vista Ridge, number 9, Dakota Ridge, 8, Loveland, 7, Palmer Ridge, 6, Ponderosa, 5, Heritage, 4, Mesa Ridge, 3, Montrose, 2, Erie, and number 1, your defending state champs, the Broomfield Eagles. Now... after a pretty crazy week one and zero we have a bit of a shakeup here now just out is windsor and dakota ridge each receiving top 10 votes so there you go but at our 10 spot we are tied here with denver south and bear creek receiving the same amount of points so they are tied for 10 at nine we have pueblo west loveland is at eight seven montrose six heritage five erie four mesa ridge three palmer ridge to Ponderosa and still at number one is Broomfield here. Let's go ahead and start at 10 where Cody would actually put Denver south here and this is what he has to say about them. Uh, Junior Felipe's debut meant three 30 plus passing yards or sorry, just yards in general, and five total touchdowns and a well-balanced offense with over 260-plus yards of passing and rushing. The Ravens' defense I still think could improve, but has the talent. So there you go there, Denver South making a push here. Uh, Bear Creek was a team that got top 10 votes from a couple of our members here as well. Uh, Gino, I think, would go ahead and put them at 8 here. So that would go ahead and be enough to tie for them to be in this 10 spot. At number nine now is Pueblo West. This is what Cody had to say about Pueblo West. We also put at nine. He said P Dub got P Dub gets the Dub on the road and takes Dakota Ridge's spot here in the top 10 at least for his personal ranking. So there you go. There, Pueblo West moving into that spot in place of Dakota. Ridge now moving on here we go ahead and we put Montrose at seven falling a little bit here after a one-point loss to Palmer Ridge uh on the road I believe this is what Cody had to say about Montrose who he put at seven blowing a 19 to 7 lead as a run heavy suffocating defense is a tough way to go and that's why the slide is a little dramatic here Uh, and there's no worries there as that slide also reflects in the majority of our rankings here uh, Gideon having them at 7 here as well as gino and cody actually they all put them at 7 i kept montrose up there uh, not too much higher but at 6 for now that is good enough to put montrose at 7 where they drop a spot then we have heritage who also drops a spot here not as many as montrose but uh they do move down to one spot losing a game here cody actually has them at four still he said a one point loss against 5a mountain vista trying to go for the win is not going to cost us highly talented eagle squad a spot yet a couple other of us had heritage ranked a little bit lower here it looks like gideon has heritage ranked at six uh cody or sargino has them ranked at nine uh cody obviously has them at four as well as me and so that kind of evens out for that six spot At number five is Erie, who does drop three spots here. This is what Cody says about Erie. He said, it's not the quality of the opponent, the location, or the score. It's the three interceptions that slides Erie down. If they get another slow start to this year, I'm not going to wait on them this time. They'll have plenty of opportunities for movement coming up. Uh, as they do have kind of a tougher schedule, which agreed here. But yeah, losing a one-score game to uh, out-of-state Vanguard, that's a tough go. So there you go. And number four is Mason Ridge. They kind of stay there for us. They were there for a preseason. This is what Cody has to say about Mason Ridge, who he has at five. He said they won how they should have, plain and simple. They blew out Kennedy, and that's what we all expected them to do, so there you go. Palmer Ridge moves up a couple of spots here. They're now at three. Uh, Cody has Palmer Ridge ranked at two. He says a comeback win over Montrose to start the season. That's an impressive start to the season for a heavyweight that isn't fading away. And you got to imagine as well, this is a Palmer Ridge team with a new head coaching staff and a couple new faces there. That's a very impressive win for them as they look to make a push for that state championship. At number two, though, is Ponderosa, who moves up a couple of spots. Cody actually had Pondo at three here. This is what he had to say about them. He said 50-burger on a 5A opponent to start the season where everything is clicking is good enough for this squad. And, yes, absolutely agreed. Was a little concerned about their quarterbacks, but they did bring in, uh, well, Aurelio Marchio, who got some playing time. But Marcus Price really showed out in this game against Fort Collins as they blew them out. He threw for, like, 268 yards and at least three or four touchdowns against them. That's big time as Pondo is making moves here and is in that contention bracket. Then at number one stays Broomfield. Cody just has a dominant one to start, as we all agree here. Uh, beating Longmont by a lot here. It wasn't close. Longmont was a team that, you know, some of us had votes for top 10, and now they don't. So, there you go there. Broomfield continuing their dominance. Okay, now let's move on to 5A here to end this segment here. I am going to say this. This is probably our craziest rankings here myself. Gideon, Gino, and Cody have pretty different... Teams like the same amount of teams, or sorry, same teams in that mix here, basically, but you know, uh, ranked at different spots. Cherry Creek is the only one who stayed the same for all of us, I want to say. So just keep that in mind. But let's go ahead and talk preseason rankings here before we talk about our updated rankings. At or sorry, let's start with just out here. Doherty, Grandview, and Fairview all got votes for the top 10, but just finished outside. Tied at 9 was Legacy and Chatfield. 8, Columbine. Tied at 6 was Fountain for Carson and Legend. 5, Mountain Vista Four Pine Creek. Tied for 2nd was Ralston Valley and Valor Christian. And at number 1 was Cherry Creek. Like I said, pretty crazy to start here. But after a very eventful Week 1 and Week 0, which saw a lot of movement here, here is what our updated 5A power rankings look like. Just outside the top 10, Fairview with 4 points, uh or sorry three points mountain vista with four points and arapaho with two all on the outside looking in here at number 10 coming in from unranked is regis jesuit at number nine is chatfield eight columbine of uh, both of those teams stayed there fountain for carson moves down slightly which isn't on them but they are now at seven here at six valor christian moves down a couple of spots Ralston valley moves down a couple of spots who is now at five right after valor christian At four now is Legend, who's moved up. Grandview, who was previously unranked, is now three. At two is Pine Creek, who moved up a couple of spots. And like I said, Cherry Creek remains number one right now. Okay, so I'm going to read Cody's notes to start here because he actually has arapaho at 10 who is just outside here he said the arab defense suffocated the lightning attack that's legacy holding cullen larmer to just 50 percent completion and a pick from wyatt starbuck they contested a ton of passes and were constantly pressuring the quarterback and rode that to a quality and defining win that's enough to put them there at 10 um for us regis Jesuit was at 10 myself and gideon uh ranked them right there at 10 cody you had them a little bit higher here at seven and then i believe gino uh did not have them ranked here so that's interesting so not yet there but we just just went at 10 there um we have columbine and chatfield at eight and nine here that doesn't change much according to our pmc rankings but it looks like cody might have moved them up in his rankings here or no, sorry, he did not move them up. But let me go ahead and talk about uh, Chatfield here, who is now at nine. He says a huge fumble recovery on the goal line helps the chat or helps the Chargers, excuse me, sneak out a close one against Cherokee Trail, and they continue to show their weapons on offense. Then about Columbine, he said they won a game against a beatable Mullen squad, but didn't really show any vulnerabilities. So there you go. There, uh, Chatfield for us at nine and eight. Cody has them ranked a little bit higher. At 7, we have Fountain, for Carson here. Uh, Cody doesn't actually have them ranked in the top 10 at all, uh, so there's that. But myself, Gino, and Gideon have them ranked all kind of in similar spots here, I believe. I have them ranked at 6. Gideon has them ranked at 7. And then Gino has them ranked the highest at four. So a little all over the place, but Fountain for Carson uh, took care of business against Falcon, beating them pretty handedly, not even really having to pass against them. So there you go. Gotta love that. Okay, moving on to six here, at least according to our PMC rankings. That's where we have Valor Christian. Cody would put Valor at 8 here. This is what he had to say about them. He said, tough week one loss on the road with plenty of notes on how and where to improve. Another loss to a good Pine Creek squad, though, next week. Might push them out of the top 10, so they'll come out with some tricks, hopefully. Uh, Gino should be at that game right here in the Springs, so that'll be a good one. But for now, Valor sits at 6, the lowest they've ever been in podcast history, actually, uh, when it comes to rankings, so there you go there, at five is Ralston Valley, Cody actually put Ralston Valley at nine, this is what he had to said, after heading into the half against Cherry Creek, down nine to 14, this game felt very much in reach, but, but quickly got out of hand here, with bad drops, and a line unit that doesn't platoon, facing a defensive line unit, that's six deep, just didn't stand the test of time over the course of the game. So he drops Ralston to number 9. For us, Ralston Valley is ranked at 5. Myself, Gideon, and Gino having them ranked in the top 5 here. Uh, so there you go there. But according to our PMC rankings, they're at 5. At number 4, we have Legend. He has Legend just above here at 3. He says the defense was legit Thursday and the offense will only get better as the season goes on. Absolutely agree, Legend moves up, and like I said, I've been high on Legend, I think they'll go go undefeated, I think they have a talented squad, Michael Marcinich, he made his start finally here, and he looked great, like I always thought he would, and so... Boom, there you go there. Legend on the rise for sure. But speaking on teams on the rise is Grandview, who is not ranked in our top 10, but are now ranked up here. Cody has Grandview at two. He says the balance of this offense just strikes me as one of the better chances of a team that could beat Cherry Creek here. Uh, other people who have Grandview up there, Gideon has Grandview at two here. Gino does not have, or sorry, he has Grandview ranked, it looks like, At 7. So no buys there from him. Obviously. And then I have Grandview ranked up here. Just outside the top 5. But for now they are ranked number 3 in our rankings. So there you go there. At number 2. Is Pine Creek who moves up a couple spots. Didn't play a game. uh, Because their out of state opponent forfeited. So I think most of us kept them there. Cody kept them at 4 here. But. I won, and I think Gino did the same, but myself and Gideon moved up Pine Creek. I moved up Pine Creek to two. Gideon moved them up to three here as uh, teams like Rawson Valley and Valor lose, clearing the way for Pine Creek to hopefully take their spot here. Um, but Pine Creek, they do face a tough opponent, and Valor Christian, if they could get this win, that really solidifies them as a true contender moving forward, as they do play Valor at home too, by the way. Then at number one is Cherry Creek, this is what Cody has to say about them, adjusted and played a perfect second half to just dominate one of the other best teams in the state, absolutely agreed, looked a little shaky to start, but it is week one, so... Not too much to worry about here. Brady Vodica looked really confident, which is good here considering how that state championship game went. I think he's going to be extremely dangerous here in 5A this season. On top of that, this defense, extremely well coached per usual, showed a lot of different looks and did a good job slowing down Ralston Valley. So got to be happy about that but Cherry Creek will be contending for state once more this year. No doubt about that. But there you go there. Those are our power rankings following week zero and week one.
0: Thank you, Coach V, for doing those power rankings for us. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how they change. And it's going to be very dramatic over these first few weeks. But now we're going to talk about our playmakers of the week, brought to you by Code Red Coaching for all of your mental performance needs, be sure to check out Code Red Coaching at coderedcoaching.com or feel free to call today 720-979-1914 and set up your first appointment where you can perform like our Playmakers of the Week. So Playmakers of the Week, we're actually going to go over kind of two weeks here between Week 0 and Week 1. The Week 0 Playmaker of the Week in a very thin kind of crowd here is going to be Caleb camp 10 carries 109 yards and three touchdowns while also having a catch for 18 yards and a score and seven tackles on the defensive side of the football and you know helping this Buena Vista team build a case to be top 10. Now in 2A Gino did have two nominees both were from basalt one of them being Will Teralo who had 19 carries for 127 yards but ultimately ended up giving it to Taylor Hayes of basalt who had 3 catches for 44 or 3 carries for 44 yards and then two receiving touchdowns and an interception having an impact on both sides of the ball is going to get him playmaker of the week for week 0 Now, Gideon, when talking about the Playmaker of the Week for 3A in Week 0, said it was a tough decision between Mason Markovic and Joaquin Sandoval. Both were on on the Glenwood squad that barely beat Aspen, and both produced on O and D. However, Markovic getting the interception touchdown, the fumble recovery, and his 200 aggregate yards pushed him just barely ahead of his counterpart. I did consider having co-playmakers of the Week, but it didn't feel right, so congratulations, Mason Markovic of Glenwood Springs being your 3A Week 0 Playmaker of the Week. Now for 4A, I had, you know, just a couple of options here, and I was maybe considering going with Riley Montemayor, who stepped in for Asher Ewing, but I'm going to go to a different Coyote here, and that is the face of stability in this Week 0 win, Brody Gray, who had 15 carries for 81 yards and two scores to keep the Yotes steady in their win over Boulder now for 5a simon had two nominees for week zero. One was jake jones who just went nuts five for eight 90 yards two touchdowns and a pick and then 10 rushing yards and a touchdown and they're a huge win over an out of state opponent where they ended up pulling the starters at half and he had some very nice looking passes in that but ultimately he went with the playmaker of the game from the one that we attended and that was jack wagner Five tackles, two interceptions, along with the game-sealing interception. The other interception being clutch earlier in the game, but the game-sealing pick is ultimately what pushes Jack Wagner over as the playmaker of the game and as the playmaker of the week for Week 0. Now, Week 1 is where things get a little bit more intense here. And, you know, for me, in the 1A classification, there were some Buena Vista guys that played really well once again, camp as was sophomore stud back Eli. There are some Lyman guys who, you know, the Badgers won big against Florence, by the way. I don't think I mentioned that, but, you know, they had a big win as well. But I'm going to go to the Meeker and North Fork game and go for kind of an interesting poll here and crown Ryan Sullivan, who played efficiently on nine of 14 for 77 yards, but ultimately wins playmaker of the week. With his game-winning two-point conversion throw to Jake Blazin, the same target that he had for a touchdown pass earlier in the game is the same one that comes down with the game-winning two-point conversion. That is what is going to push this nominee over the rest, is hitting a game-winner here on a touchdown pass. With the stats available, I was also considering Wiggins and who was scoring their touchdown and go-ahead, but they did not have stats available on who did that. So... For now, we got Ryan Sullivan as your 1A Week 1 Playmaker of the Week. Week 1 Playmakers of the Week, once again, brought to you by Code Red Coaching. Be sure to check them out on coderedcoaching.com. And, you know, remember, the grind to greatness starts with the mind. Continuing down this Week 1 Playmaker of the Week kind of selection here, Gino had a few different guys to choose from. Nominees included Trevor Lucero, who had seven touchdowns that were passing, 350 yards, also, Azia Gracie from Wellington, 19 tackles, three hurries, and was a part of this Wellington squad that only allowed six points in an 8-6 win. Thomas Krupp out of Steamboat had 174 yards rushing, two receptions for 55 yards, three touchdowns between those two things, and carried the offense in a close game. Cooper Connolly from Elizabeth had 17 carries for 188 yards and four rushing touchdowns, as well as a pick six on defense. Lots of big numbers, lots of multiple touchdown performances here. But ultimately, Jariah Ariano from Arvada had six catches for 185 yards and five touchdowns, almost scoring every single time he caught a touchdown in Arvada's win against Prospect Ridge Academy. And I'm actually going to get eyes on Ariano here on Thursday in the Arvada versus Littleton game. I will be attending. I'm very excited for that, mainly because. You know, I'll have the fuel of checking out a playmaker of the week from week one in Jaria Ariano out of Arvada, the 2A playmaker of the week. Now for 3A, Gideon, once again, had a few options here. You know, Jonathan Gonzalez out of Pueblo County had 82 rushing yards, a rushing touchdown, and then 123 receiving yards and two receiving scores, being able to get it done in both ways that way. Deshaun Wilson out of Sierra had two picks, one of which was a game-sealing game sealing Pick six in a one-score win over Littleton. Jaden Hoffman went nuclear, going for 257 pass yards, four passing touchdowns, 50 rushing yards, and also a come-from-behind win, being down 22 in the third quarter over Canyon City. So a big performance out of the quarterback from Severance there, not to mention his younger brother, Jeremiah, who also had an absurd amount of yards. But ultimately, Gideon's going to give week one 3A Playmaker of the Week to Rylan Money Cooney, 144 pass yards, 133 rush yards, three passing touchdowns, and then on defense had four tackles, a tackle for loss, and a sack. You know, Gideon said due to how big this win was over another highly regarded 3A squad and how much sheer dominance he exerted over the field on both sides of the ball is what gives Rylan Money Cooney the Week 3 Playmaker of the Week. Now, for 4A, I had some options here. Junior watch list receiver Max Mervin caught for 217 yards. You know, even in a loss, uh, Kurt Rossner and Tanner Church both went nuclear. Kurt, Ross, Kurt Rossner with five touchdowns passing. Tanner Church catching for 263 yards and three scores. And, you know, there's also a couple of other options like Adrian Rico or Ryan Bobbick. Another wide receiver quarterback duo who had five touchdowns between the two of them and 144 yards. And then there was Derek Hester, who did complete 75% of his passes, limiting turnovers and punching it in for three scores while leading the team in carries against a very sturdy Montrose defense. All these are very impressive, but I'm going to give it to the guy who pushed his team into the top 10 of the power rankings with the win. And that was Gavin Lockett scoring two rushing touchdowns and then throwing a 70-yard score here. And that is going to be my Week one for 4A Playmaker of the Week, Gavin Lockett out of Pueblo West. Now, last but certainly not least, Simon had a couple of guys to choose from for 5A here. So he looked at Regis Jesuit's Anthony Medina, who had over 150 rushing yards and three touchdowns in their win over Valor Christian. Mountain Vista with Jack Blyce who had 70 yards and a touchdown rushing and then three receptions for 67 yards and two scores. Brady Vodica who tossed two touchdowns and ran for one in the big win over Rosson Valley. But ultimately we'll go with the unofficial stats and performance of Westminster's quarterback Mason Hewitt here. 17 of 24, 321 yards, five passing touchdowns. 182 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns, so seven total touchdowns in their 50-point performance, including the game-winning passing touchdown with 29 seconds left in their 50-48 to win over Far Northeast. This might be the first Westminster Wolf here to win Playmaker of the Week. And so just as a recap, the Week 0 Playmakers of the Week were in order of classification, 1A to 5A, Caleb Camp of Buena Vista, Taylor Hayes of Basalt, Mason Markovich of Glenwood Springs, Brody Gray of Monarch, and Jack Wagner of Ralston Valley for Week 0 Playmakers of the Week, brought to you by Code Red Coaching. And then for Week 1, we went with Ryan Sullivan of Meeker, Jariah Ariano of Arvada, Rylan Cooney out of Holly Family, Gavin Lockett out of Pueblo West in their win over Dakota Ridge to get into the top 10 of our power rankings, and then Mason Kiewit, sorry if I'm saying that name wrong, or kiwet from Westminster in their win over Far Northeast. Thank you so much for Code Red Coaching. Once again, the grind to greatness starts with the mind. Check them out at coderedcoaching.com for bringing you and us the Week 0 and 1 Playmakers of the Week. And thank you all so much for tuning in to this edition of Playmakers Corner. I have been your showrunner for this, joined by Gino Gideon and Coach V. And we're looking forward to next week's recap where we'll only have to recap one week's of games. But stay tuned for all of our content on Thursday with our Games of the Week, announcing which games we plan on attending. And then for our recap next Tuesday and all of the highlights that we'll have on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. Just make sure to follow us on all those social medias Playmakers Corner on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And then at Playmaker Corner on Twitter, where you can see all of our social media posts, covers for episodes, and be notified when episodes come out. And then be sure to subscribe, follow, like on any place that you listen to podcasts, whether that's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And we also post episodes to YouTube. So please let us know and subscribe so that we can get those videos continued going for you. But like I said, I have been your showrunner, Cody Stoffer, and peace.